Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thank goodness it is Friday, March 15th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Romano Rundown with Sun-Times writer Romano Hussein. Our dear friend Mark Sims will join us, and we welcome 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate Lori Lightfoot. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here calling this good check Friday. And here's why. How many days, D? 18. 18, 18 days and counting to the monumental showdown election day. Tyson versus Buster Douglas. I mean, wait a minute. Lori Lightfoot, <laughs> Lightfoot versus Prugman. I'm probably the only guy in the world who remembers Tyson versus Buster. Oh, Duggan. no, I remember that. He was the one guy to beat Mike Tyson. He did beat Mike Tyson. In Japan. In Japan. Very good. Come on now. I, wow, I'm really impressed. Anyway, let me remove, <laughs> get back up to business, folks. Anyway, I haven't made up my mind yet who I'm going to vote for. That's why it's gut check time. Got to f- make that decision like so many Chicagoans and so many Chicagoans out there are undecided. Data's a pass. We're going to have a conversation with someone in Chicago who says, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> By the way, it's a replica of what happened. Or it's a repeat of what happened in the governor's race. Remember that one, D, coming down to the Democratic primary? One day I was going to vote for Dan Biss, and the next day Bob Diber, the downstate Democrat. You and I, D, were the... Two main supporters for Bob Diber in the city of Chicago. Folks, I still say that would have been a good choice uh, for governor, uh, downstate progressive. But whatever. Anyway, that's the governor's race. And then, oh, Chris Kennedy. Remember when I was toying with Chris Kennedy because I really liked his comments about how Ron was trying to gentrify all the poor people out of the city of Chicago. Anyway, that's the governor's race. And by the way, I'm going to have the same confusion. I don't know who I'm going to vote for a president. That's just coming up. We're just heading down the road there. You know, who is it going to be? Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kamala. I mean, uh, all the Grandpa Joe. There's so many different choices there. I don't know who I'm going to vote for. Anyway, Preckwinkle versus Lightfoot. On the one hand, I know, kind of know Tony Preckwinkle. I've seen her in action for a long, long time. Known Tony Preckwinkle since the 80s. More or less solidly liberal, mainstream Chicago Democrat. Uh you know, you could say that you could criticize her for uh, cutting deals with the Democratic machine. Actually, you could say she is the Democratic machine. She is the head of the Cook County Democratic Party. I don't know if, you know, if that's such a wrong thing. I mean, we're all Democrats, right? So, you know, 
got to weigh the pluses and minuses of having the head of the Cook County Democratic Party also being the mayor of the city of Chicago. There's been times when I've been with Tony Breckwinkle, times when I've been against her. Let's talk about the time I was against her was the Olympics. We're in complete opposite side of the issue on the Olympics. She was a big cheerleader for it. I was a big opponent for it. When the IOC, in its infinite wisdom, decided to uh, give it to Brazil, I cheered. I was in Washington Park cheering in Tony, sort of Tony's area, neck of the woods, cheering it on. Uh, Tony was uh, disappointed with that one because she was an Olympic proponent. On the other hand, I'd applaud her. She was one of five, count of five uh, aldermen who voted against uh, the horrendous parking meter deal, which may be the single worst, uh, I would say, privatization scheme that the city has come up with in the last 30 or so years. So give her credit for that. Uh, took a lot of guts, I think, to vote against that one. At the time, Mayor Dale was twisting arms. So you got to give her credit for that. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, first run for office, more of an uncertainty, more of a blank slate. Not quite sure what she will do when she, was get, when she gets in office. I like the things she's saying, says all the right things. But you know how it goes, folks. People running for office always tell you the nice things. Then they get in the office and it's, uh-oh, what happened here? So, you know, you got to sort of learn to read uh, sort of between the lines, look for the nuances, look for the things they emphasize, look for the, the way they behave. Is, is it consistent with what they say? All these things I have to consider. I know I'm not alone, but ultimately, folks, the reality is this. It's like a mystery. It's a guessing game. You don't really know how any candidate in this particular race, how either one of these two candidates will act in office when you give them all that power and all that responsibility that the mayor has. It's a guessing game. And I'm really happy to say that uh, Lori Lightfoot will be in the studio today. So uh, maybe she could help me, Dennis, Miles, who's in the studio as well. All Mark Sims will be here. All of us reach a decision. We have a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein, as Dennis said, will be here at the 1.30 hour for uh, the Ramana Rundown. That's a big part of our show every week. Ramana goes through the news of the day, uh, excuse me, the news of the week, and uh, we have a whole list of things to talk about. We're going to talk about that college scandal. Ramana's got some interesting points to talk about the college scandal. Uh, and at 2 o'clock, Mark Sims, an old friend of the show, a cable access guru, uh, will be in talking about... His thoughts on the mayoral election. He'll probably stick around for the Lori Lightfoot interview. Yes, yes, yes. Lori will be here. Got a whole bunch of questions to ask Lori. So looking forward to hearing her answer. She was with us at the hideout. Uh, this was about a week ago. And uh, it's always fun to engage Lori Lightfoot in the lively art of conversation. Somebody else used to say that all the time. The lively art of conversation. I think maybe Cup. Uh, there's a name from the past that only I know about. Anyway. So we have some great guests coming on. We're going to be talking politics, 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 and politics. But before we do any of that, the doctor has the news. Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's the middle of the final day of the week. Bring it, weekend! (laughs) And Ben, we have some business to tend to, or as our former downstate Illinois gubernatorial candidate Bob Diver so eloquently put it. No, let me me finish. Oh, man, I hit the wrong button. Let me me stop Let me finish. You... Hit the wrong button. But I love that one. That was pretty good. <laughs> or, as our Bob Diver so eloquently put it, we got to get down to business. There oh, it is. I love Diver. <laughs> Bob do. Diver, the downstate Democrat from the 618. Yes, we got to get down to business because we have results to read from our very first Twitter poll. Oh. But let's take a quick look at uh, what's happening nationally this afternoon here. 
as it appears to be drawing to a conclusion, our now Democratic House has unanimously voted for a resolution 420 to zero Mm. calling for any final report or reports involving special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation to be made public. All right. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Time for a deep dive here. By the way, talking about deep dives, uh, Jim Coogan, ace attorney, will be here next week, and he is ready to talk all things Trump, Mueller, investigations. He's going to update us on all that stuff. Uh, But here's the issue with this 420 to nothing was the vote. Uh, Nobody voted against this resolution. Republicans joined Democrats. Uh, here's the issue, folks. Uh, if you, um, the deal is this: Robert Mueller is about to release his report, uh, 22 months in the making, about the um, in, uh, interference of Russia in the uh, our last election, our last presidential election. The role, the connection that Donald Trump and his campaign may have had uh, to to Russia in that re- election. Uh, it's pro- probably going to be some very explosive details uh, in that report. And the fear that Democrats had was that the Republican attorney general would not release the report. And there's no guarantee that he has to release the report. And so they want to put uh, him, they want to be on the record to build public pressure uh, on the Republican attorney general, William Barr, to release that report. And so now we have this political situation that the Republicans have to make a decision on. Do they want to join the Democrats in calling for the release of the report that might be really embarrassing to the president? Or do I want to stay loyal to the president and conceal the report? And Republicans are in a real predicament on this one, but obviously they decided, you know what, it's safer to be for releasing the report uh, and uh, at least joining forces with the Democrats to say you're for transparency as opposed to be officially against transparency. So I guess that's an encouraging sign. On the other hand, again, this is a non-binding resolution, everybody. So it doesn't force Barr to release the report, and it didn't pass the Senate. In fact, it didn't even come to a Senate vote, D, and that's because the Senate is ruled by Republicans. And when this resolution came to the Senate for a vote, uh, Lindsey Graham, your old good friend from South Carolina. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> decided, man, he dragged out that old Hillary Clinton and her email servers. Well, if you're going to uh, call for a re- release of the Mueller report on, uh, on on how Russia may have colluded with Trump uh, on our 2016 ele- election, at least have an investigation. <laughs> Into the email servers. Good God, they're going to drag everything. I'm probably going to call for an investigation next on whether Obama was actually born in Hawaii. Uh, Anything to sort of muddy up the waters and confuse people. So uh, that resolution died in the Senate. I don't think it uh, even came for a vote. So again, a non-binding resolution. The pressure will be on uh, Barr uh, to to release the information. By the way, he doesn't have to release the information, and there's information uh, that he probably won't release in terms of you know what Mueller's strategy is on who he's going to prosecute, or uh, you know uh, some maybe there's like disclosures of classified information that they determine we the public shouldn't know about only they the politicians should know about i'm generally for any kind of release d i'm pretty much uh uh you know a libertarian on that front but uh, anyway so this is just round one folks of a fight that'll be going on for the next few months Really no update needed on that one, but we will try our best to keep you posted if any Russian collusion news breaks. Oh, uh, 
What's that, Donald Trump? No collusion. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, if you say so. I mean, if you say so. All right, let's just not have the report at all. <laughs> all right, live streamers and downloaders. After Democrat Beto O'Rourke announced that he will be running for president in 2020 yesterday, we went to all of you on both our Facebook and Twitter pages, at Benny J Show, and asked for your thoughts. On Facebook, we simply asked, Beto O'Rourke for president? And uh, yes, we made Ben Jarofsky uh, show history here, Ben, with our first ever Twitter poll. That's right. Whoa, mm-hmm. we're yeah. taking giant steps here, people. Oh, man. The question on Twitter, <laughs> Beto or work yeah. for president? Uh-huh. Yay, nay, meh, were the options. Uh, we got to look out after the mez, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. You never mez know. are coming yeah. strong. Our indifferent listeners out there. But uh, before we go over the poll results, we will read the comments posted. First up, it's Nate. On our Facebook page. Right. How's it going, Nate? What's going on, Nate? Beitor work for president. That's what we asked. Nate posted, uh, I don't think you get in to win at this point. Anything can happen. You get in to be in the discussion as the party flushes out who the person of the hour is. He could wind up in a cabinet post or on the ticket balancing it out from a geographic, generational, or ethnic perspective. He may be an orator out of the style of Barack Obama, but he will not have meteoric rise like Obama. Just a different time. Wow. Nate, Nate's a strategist, man. This is the, the point of view that uh, nothing is what it seems. It's all about some machinations under the ground. So what Beto is really doing is not so much running for president, but sort of auditioning from sort of other role. And uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm not sure about that. I think Beto uh, O'Rourke really wants to be president Uh Again, I said it yesterday. I was hoping he would run again for the Senate seat uh, in Texas that's up uh, in 2020. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people out there who agree uh, with Nate that this is all just about getting his name out there so uh, he can you know, position himself for the next um, the next job in his career. How about our dear friend and Benny J show, Devotee Allen? Allen posted, uh, Beta Award for president. Oh, no chance in hell. <laughs> What's that? What does he mean by that? What what he means by that? Does he mean he? There's no way he'll vote for him. Doesn't want him to uh, to vote for him, or doesn't think Beto O'Rourke has a chance. It is so Obama. Beto O'Rourke. I said this before. It's just it's just like he's studying the Obama model and trying to uh, replicate it. And uh, I, I just don't know if that will work. I kind of agree uh, with Nate, and I don't know if that will work here in 2020. Uh, the notion of the way to beat Trump is with a, an idealistic person who just tries to what to unite all of us on our common, like our common good things, things that just bring us together. It's it it sounds ennobling. It didn't work in Texas, by the way, when uh, Beto O'Rourke ran against Ted Cruz. So I don't know if that you want that or do you want a street fighter who get down and dirty with Donald Trump? Our Facebook friend Monica posted, uh, "That's a big nope." <laughs> Here we go, man. No O'Rourke. No O'Rourke. You, you know, I read it yesterday, but I'm going to read it again because he really nailed it. It's Patrick's comment. Beto O'Rourke for president was the question. Patrick posted, so he couldn't beat the guy that Trump beat, <laughs> yeah. but he thinks he could beat the guy that beat the guy that he couldn't beat? Uh, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, no, that one was really confusing yesterday, but I got the point. I got the point. But, you know, here's the other thing about Beto O'Rourke. He plays that Obama bipartisan game. That was the thing about Obama. Remember, he always said, "There's no blue America, there's no red America." That was his appeal in the Isn't speech. There blue America? No red America. Yeah. Wow. It's like Obama in the studio. It's oh pur- no, it's Dennis. It's purple America. Oh yeah. And uh, so I don't know. Again, if that's going to play, everybody. Better O'Rourke. Uh, it was controversial in the last go around. Uh, he sat out the endorsement of, of a. Co- strong congressional candidate in Texas because he didn't want to alienate Republicans. So, you know, that 
notion of playing along with Republicans, I don't know if that's going to work in a Democratic primary. I think most Democrats are looking for a fight, and they're looking for a fighter who will take on Trump head on. So I'm, I'm not quite sure uh, the Obama strategy will work in 2020. Price gives us some good insight here. Price puts, this is a bad move with like four A's. Bad <laughs> move. Price says, I live in Texas now, and his supporters are pretty disappointed because he wanted him to run against Cornyn for, or for Senate or Abbott for governor. Out over his skis on this one. Shout out to our friend Kitty Kurth. Uh, she said, when I co-hosted Kitty. a fundraiser for Beto, uh, she said her mom called to thank. Oh, no. Be- Beto's mom called Kitty to thank her. And our final Facebook comment is Steve. What up, Steve? Steve put, uh, it was a no-brainer to support Beto against Cruz, but quite another thing to support him in the primary against such stalwarts as Sanders and Warren. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point. It's one thing to be the Democratic hope uh, to win Texas. And all the Democrats were united on that one. They really wanted uh, better O'Rourke to win in Texas. Yep, it's quite another thing to say he's better. Uh, he's your first choice over people like uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Elizabeth Warren, etc. Now onto the Twitter page, at Benny J Show on Twitter. A couple of you left some comments below the Twitter poll. At Radami1 posted, Beto for Veep. We need Elizabeth Warren's brain for president. Only she can clean up this mess. We cannot afford the luxury of another pretty boy executive. At Tulip Picking, I love Twitter. <laughs> at Tulip Picking, weighed in, posting, no to Beto. The way Mr. O'Rourke votes is not my opinion, but who he is and how he represents the party. And below her post, a link to The Guardian, uh, an article titled, Better O'Rourke Frequently Voted for Republican Legislation Analysis Reveals. And our friend at KP Dawes posted, I know next to nothing about Beto's politics, but it is refreshing to see more candidates in the race who don't yet qualify for Social Security. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's an appeal. Every time, every time I, I even suggest that I'm a little sympathetic to uh, uh, Grandpa Joe Biden, uh, my millennial friends go, he's so old. All right, and now it's the moment that maybe like, I don't know, six of you have been waiting for our Twitter poll results, people. <laughs> that's right. Beta or work for president. Yay, nay, or meh. Those are the options. Out of a modest 189 people on the Ben Jarofsky Show Twitter page, we have the results with 21% of the vote. And uh, Beto, if you're listening, uh, this is when you may want to tune out. But with 21% of the vote, it's yay. Yay. They want them to they run. They want them to okay. run. That's right. <laughs> Up next, 32% of the vote. It's meh. <laughs> okay. And that leaves? Of course, that means our winner is nay. <laughs> With 47% of the boat. Not feeling the Beto. All right. Wait, that, that sound you hear is the bus, the Beto bus leaving Iowa. All right, I quit. <laughs> yeah, those Twitter folks out there are against me. No, you, come on. It's just the start, D. Just the start. And Look, you better believe. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, nobody thought that Bill Clinton was going to win uh, after his speech in 1988 to the Democratic Convention. And uh, nobody thought that Barack Obama could win. So, you know, hey, maybe there's a chance. All right, now, of course, uh, well, we will be having another Twitter poll, by the way. You okay. better believe we'll have another Twitter poll. That was mm-hmm. a success. And we want more than 189 people. We're going to shoot for 200 All next right. time. Sounds All right, good. Yeah. That's the goal there. Uh, but, no, uh, coming up after this short little break, we are going to find out what else is news. But Ben Jarofsky, uh, could you tell people about this event that's going to be coming up uh, a little? Oh, absolutely, Thank folks. You. Hold on. Hey. 
You want to get enlightened? You want to learn about what's going on in your fair city? Do I? Uh, I have a suggestion for you. Join the Chicago Sun-Times at our upcoming Hear Our Voice Community Forum and take that deep dive into Chicago politics. Now, the first forum, it already took place, DuSable Museum of African American History in Hyde Park. The second forum is Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Arturo Velasquez Institute in Pilsen. That's Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Arturo Velasquez Institute in Pilsen. Features panelists Mark Brown and Carlos Ballesteros from the Sun-Times, Rosanna Marquez from AARP, and my good friend Fernando Diaz from the Chicago Reporter. They're going to be talking about all the issues of the day. The best of all, D, you're really going to love this. Get ready for this. Food? (laughs) I think there are refreshments served after. But best of all, this event is free. That's F-R-E-E, meaning you don't have to pay to get in. Oh, Thanks for the spelling (laughs) and the meaning of free. 35 years old. Never knew what that meant. So it's free. For sign-up details, go to suntimes.com. All right, Vinny J. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois? I was born ready. That's a fantastic answer because people were about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for what else is news. The magic number is now 18, 18 days until our Chicago mayoral runoff, Tuesday, April 2nd. And, uh, well, if you're unaware of who the candidates are in this thing by now, you must be new here. Welcome to Chicago. (laughs) I'm Dennis. That's Ben. (laughs) Yeah, welcome. Our mayoral candidates are Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle and former Chicago Police Board President Lori Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. Our borderline excessive coverage of the mayoral runoff continues. In about an hour, Lori Lightfoot will be joining us here in our humble Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Times studio. Benny J., if you could, please give us a quick preview as to what you'll be discussing with Miss Lightfoot this afternoon. I have absolutely no idea, D. (laughs) Excellent. I like to Our go host, these, ladies and gentlemen. I like to go into these things just freestyling. Uh, I'm gonna ask, definitely gonna ask her some questions about her some campaign contributions, uh, housing issues, police issues, uh, you know, whatever else pops into my mind. Maybe ask Mark Sims. He'll be here. What does he want to ask about? You know, they got a few trick up my sleeves. All right. Well, if you want to help Ben with show prep, my goodness. <laughs> Head over to the Facebook page or the Twitter page, at Benny J Show on Twitter. Leave us your questions or comments for Lori Lightfoot. Oh, good Lord. All right. Now, you won't want to miss it. Lori Lightfoot, 2.30 right here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. But, hey, in case you do miss it, you can download it anytime, chicago.suntimes.com and chicagoreader.com. All right. We have some mayoral candidate endorsements and contribution news mm-hmm. to comb through. People, right. it's time for a 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate update. No, let me, let me stop. finish. I listened to you. Let me, let me, you. Let right me finish. You criticized my law firm. Thing she you does. just took a the donation she did from one of my partners two days ago. Everybody's going to get a chance to talk. Oh, God. This is a 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate update. All right. Both our candidates' contribution and endorsement game has been strong Mm -hmm. this week. And because we we were just talking about her and plugging our Lori Lightfoot interview at 2.30, we're going to go through the endorsements for Tony Preckwinkle first. Guys, we're really trying to be fair in this thing, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, remember, Preckwinkle is the candidate with the most money. When we last checked, Tony had $5.6 million in campaign cash, and we can now add on at least another $25,000 to that total. 
Tony Preckwinkle just received $25,000 from the 1199 SEIU New York State PAC. Mm-hmm. In case you get money from New York, all right. SEIU mm-hmm. Healthcare, a big contributor to Tony Preckwinkle's campaign. And another union is jumping on board with the Preckwinkle campaign. It's the Teamsters Joint Council 25. Mm-hmm. Getting Teamster support there. Other unions on the mm-hmm. Preckwinkle in, uh, endorsement list include the Chicago Teachers Union, Service Employees, and International Union Locals 1 and 73, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union Local 881, and Teamsters Local 700. All right, so those are the uh, Preckwinkle endorsements and contributions to announce. On to Lori Lightfoot. Well, first off, we have to break down the news on a previous Lori Lightfoot contribution. During her interview with uh, Ben, what's for the life of me a camera? What's the name of that radio station? The one uh, on Navy Pier? You know where they sound way smarter than oh, us? What is yeah. that? Yeah, you think it'd be easy to remember that one? It's yeah. just never remember that one. Yeah, they're so smart. That one? Yeah, you think it would be easy? <laughs> okay. All right. During her interview with Joke w- never gets old. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on who he asks. During her interview with WBEZ Chicago, Lori Lightfoot defended receiving a $40,000 campaign contribution received in December Uh from what a lot of Chicago political know-it-alls are calling a dark money group. Change Chicago is the name of the nonprofit organization. And thanks to the meanest Chicago political bulldog in the yard, (laughs) Dan Mialopoulos, we now know that this group was funded by Lightfoot donor Coco Sudek back in July, shortly after Lightfoot announced she would be running for mayor. Now, at this time, we are still uncertain of who exactly puts money into this organization, but I have responses from both candidates on this. First, well, if you were to ask the Tony Preckwinkle for mayor campaign, oh, they're going dark money group all the way here. Here's the quote from a Preckwinkle spokesman, quote, desperation is accepting dark money from unknown sources to boost your campaign. Instead of trying to blame someone else for accepting dark money, perhaps she should take a look at her own values and see if maybe she should stop pretending to be a progressive. Lightfoot burn. Uh, that... <laughs> They're coming down hard on him. Wait, so time out. Did you read both of the candidates there? Now, obviously, Lori Lightfoot is on team not dark money. All right, there we go. Lightfoot made clear she had no intention of returning the check, despite criticism from her her opponent in the April 2nd runoff, saying, quote, that was a contribution that happened about four or five months ago. This isn't a news story. So, Ben Jarofsky, what say you? Dark money or not dark money? And regardless if it is or not, with 18 days to go in this thing, should Lightfoot just give the money back just to avoid the drama? Uh, yes. No. I think those are the two questions. So, all right, let's 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 pick it apart here. Number one, is it dark uh, money? Yes, it is. And hats off to young Dan Mialopoulos from WBEZ, formerly, by the way, young Daniel, was right here at the Chicago Sun-Times, all right? It was a, he's a bulldog investigator reporter, and it's a good story. It's worth reading. Um, here's the deal, folks, what they call dark money, so-called dark money. Uh, federal tax law enables groups to uh, set up... Uh, campaign contribution organizations or entities where they can receive money from contributors without revealing who those contributors are and then make donations. So it's dark money in that you do not know ultimately what the source of that money is. So yes, it is indeed dark money. And I think that anybody, 
and I think Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckle would be on this list, who believes sort of in the general notion that we should have transparent government, that we should know exactly who is funding the campaigns of the people running for office. Anybody who believes in that as just a concept would be against it. The reality is this, folks. Under our campaign laws, under the crazy system of campaign laws that we have where we protect groups like, what was it called, D? Change Chicago, that are, can, keep, can keep their donors anonymous. We, our laws allow those groups to exist. So if you're Lori Lightfoot and you want to be mayor of the city of Chicago and you're trailing Tony Preckwinkle in the fundraising game, should you give up the money? Would you give up the money that the law allows you to take? I understand why people would say, oh, you're ideal. In an idealistic world, you wouldn't take money from dark money groups. In an idealistic world, we would have no such group. In an idealistic world, we would just have open transparency when it comes to financing campaigns. But we do not live in an idealistic world. At the moment, we live in the city of Chicago. And if you're uh, Lori Lightfoot and you need every nickel you can to compete with Tony Prickwickle and get on TV so you can match her can't, her commercials that are trying to brand you as a non-progressive, then you got to take the money, D. It reminds me... A lot of the dis- discussion and debate about Amara Enya uh, back before in the first round. Should Amara Enya take a Kanye West's money? And many people said, no, she should not take Kanye West's money uh, because he is a Trump supporter. He wears the MAGA hat, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what's her choice? It's not like everybody's funding Amara Enya's campaign. It's not like everybody's rushing to, to support Lori Lightfoot. Tony Preckwinkle is gets more money, has more money. She has an advantage for thanks to her union support. So, in in the game of politics as it's played in the city of Chicago, as it's played in Illinois and in this uh, the country of the United States, you know, if you want to be competitive, you have to have the money. I wish it weren't that way, but the reality is that's the way it is. So, yes, it's dark money, and until they change the rules of the game, if I were advising Lori Lightfoot, I'd say take the money. Benny J says dark money. What say you? But just like that, you now have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right. Yes, indeed. I think think dark money (laughs) would agree on this point. Money by Pink Floyd. Songs would agree. agree with me. Okay. <laughs> so I, and He's Floyd stretching. Jones, a kid I went to high school with. They all agree you did a great job. Give yourself a, pe- a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Romano Hussein coming up, folks. Be right back. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com.
If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization. And quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at Chicago Reader Corp at C-O-R-P as in Paul dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. And speaking to the Chicago Sun-Times, Ramana Hussein is in the studio, editor with the Sun-Times, one of the most popular features on this show, the Ramana Roundup. Did I get it right, D? No, you did not. Oh. <laughs> the Ramana Rundown. Rundown. There you go. There you go. Uh, it's one so popular, I'll get the name right. Uh, anyway, where we go through uh, the big stories of the week and what a week it's been, Romana. So welcome back, first of all. Thank you. And um, so where do we start? I guess we should start with um, this uh, story here uh, that, um, well, it's not on the front page of the Sun-Times, but it has been on the front page of all the newspapers in the country, and that is the scandal. Uh, <laughs> people, uh, generally well-to-do white people, uh, trying to rig the system to get their kids into the Harvards and the USC's and the Ivy League schools of the country. Uh, the notion, Ramana, is that we supposedly have a meritocracy in the United States where um, your entry into these prestigious schools is governed solely by your performance on achievement tests, your grade point average, your average, your uh, character, your Not attendance. <laughs> and now it turns out like everything else, it's fixed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I went through the system. I had parents who were immigrants, so they didn't even know about the system that much. And uh, I guess I was lucky in the sense that especially the Indian immigrants that first came to this country, they don't want us to go anywhere out of state. So we could only apply to a few places. I went to Loyola because my older sister went to Loyola. So it wasn't um, that hard. But now I have a uh, younger, I have my older sister, she has two kids going through the college system and where she had one that already went through the college system. And both of these kids, I mean, they're they're my nephew and my niece, so I'm going to say they're really brilliant, but it's a very tough <laughs> process. No, yeah. I mean, they are—they were very smart. My younger, my niece, who's the oldest niece in the family, she's now 24. Um, I mean, she was top 10 in her school. She in, you know, over 30 plus on her ACTs, you know, she was, you know, at active participant my nephew is 17 right now he's going through the whole process and you know they definitely are you know we're indians so we do care about college um, elite colleges that's something a stereotype but um you know it was something that you know my sister's really into i mean now my parents never took me around the country they have like college tours now like parents take their kids to different schools and they have these presentations and and it you know at the end of the day like i do think like if someone does you know persevere and go to a good school 
But it's like a lot of these kids have dream schools and they don't get in, you know, mm-hmm. even when they have these scores. So when you hear the stories like this, it's very disheartening. My, my older sister was very angry this week. She was just, when she oh, hears the story. No, a lot of people are angry. And yeah. uh, I, listen, does it really matter? I mean, let me put it to you this way. When I like every all these people want to get their daughter or their son into Harvard or Yale or yeah. an Ivy League school. Take a look at like who our last mayors have been. Yeah, no, I, I uh, that none of them went to an Ivy League school. Am I, I right about that? I, I Rob agree. didn't go to an Ivy League school. <laughs> I didn't go to an Ivy League school. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. I, I, but I do think a lot of kids have their heart set on it. I know a lot of parents. I know a lot of parents are have their heart set on it. I can understand it to a little, to a certain extent. It's definitely a first world problem. I'll never say that it's like the most important thing in the world. But mm-hmm. a lot of you know kids work really hard. You know. They, you know, there are some kids who take AP classes where they're freshmen, which was not a thing when I was in high school. But it's something that, you know, a lot of kids do work hard. You know, they have dream schools they want to go to. If they don't get in, you know, it shouldn't be a make or break thing for their lives. So I think a lot of these kids do have to be trained to think that, you know, if you don't get in, it's not the end of your world. And, you know, a lot of these kids have backup schools, too. Like even smart kids. Like I know Champagne is a backup school for the really, really smart kids. Oh, my God. Champagne was hard when I was. <laughs> Champagne was no backup really? school for me. Somebody, somebody <laughs> my older sister who's like, you know, oh, three, you know, grade schools older, older than me. She thought it was actually pretty easy to get into but she told me it got harder as the years went. all right but actually i i wouldn't disagree well i'm not sure if this is just a first world uh situation i think what we're getting at is uh the sense that there's a caste system here and uh, that your entree into society as a whole is dictated by things like where you went to college and getting even lower where you went to high school or where you went to grammar school yeah. uh and so the notion like if you go to Brown or if you go to Princeton or if you go to Harvard or you go to Yale somehow or other you're going to have a ticket that's going to get you into a higher class more money better neighborhood uh, fast track lifestyle I think that's what's playing yeah, on people's of course, minds of course that is and then that's not necessarily true because I you know I think there's been studies where they say like you know kids who are valedictorians during school don't necessarily do better in life than other kids. And, you know, I'm sure you went to your high school reunion and saw people that, you know, you never thought that they would like really do that well in life, but they did great. And then there's some people who are really, really smart. I knew there were some people who were smarter than me. And I was just like, wait, that's all you're doing. <laughs> you know, and they told me what they're doing. And, and, and it wasn't like they were doing anything terrible but it's like they were so driven and i was actually an honor student in high school but i wasn't very driven i i, I liked english and i used to read my books but i wasn't like oh no i need to get a and everything i was i was kind of like a pretty laid-back smart kid i would say but no it is i don't know i think it's a really really important people do talk about it you know and it's important and i know there's people who have been telling me like oh it doesn't matter where like you know your, the kids go to school, but I'm like, these same people are impressed when you tell them that you go, went to Brown or you went to Yale. They're like, oh, did you know the so-and-so went to Yale? <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah. so it, it does. I think I think people lie when they say they're not impressed when someone say they went to Harvard. I think I am sometimes. Yeah. No, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. And by the way, we, we were talking about this on the phone. We've actually had this conversation a couple times, uh, Ramana, this notion, uh, again, many of the people that were uh, indicted were white people. Yeah. And there's a notion that, that exists out there that is there a prejudice against Asian Americans when it gets uh, me when it comes to getting into the schools. Give us your thoughts on that. I mean, I'm Asian, so you know where I'm going to go with it. I, I think it's a very nuanced uh, situation, and people do see this as a black and white issue. You know about the Harvard lawsuit. The, the problem that a lot of people see with that lawsuit is that it's basically pitting Asian Americans 
Americans against African Americans and Latino kids. Mm-hmm. So um, I think one of the things that's Well, just a little bit background, the Harvard lawsuit, uh, just for folks who don't know about it. Yeah, it's a Harvard lawsuit, actually, that's backed by a white Republican who is, you know, I think originally it was that this young white woman couldn't get into school, so they filed a lawsuit, and that lawsuit kind of just went nowhere, or it was kind of stricken. And so he went to the, I guess, quote-unquote, the next best thing and went to like got Asians and I know it's a very sensitive topic for Asians because I don't know a lot of Asians do feel like they have to work a lot harder because you know the standards are I think the standards for Asian Americans I they've never really broken a lot of colleges don't talk about how these college admissions but one of the things that came out of this lawsuit is they do think Asians are like stoic and one can be replaced with another Asian so they kind of have this stereotype and they have been running on stereotypes about how they do selection especially with Asian American students so I I do think it's a I think it's a very like complicated issue but it's a very sensitive one I know in the Asian American community because a lot of people feel like you know, it's like Asians don't even get talked about, especially in the city, unless people want to talk about college admissions or like fetish, meal fetish. Yeah. Uh, Danny Solis and talking about. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> forgot he, about that. Yes. So, you know, that was brought up. Yeah. You know, the massage Danny parlor. Solis, yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I know one of the things I feel as an Asian American is like people don't even think of it as, as as a minority, except when it comes time to think of as a minority. We don't have white privilege. And I think that's one thing people ignore. People never talk about the Asian American vote. They don't care what we think about. And so it's like whenever it comes to college admission, then we become a problem. And then, you know, when they want to talk about massage parlors and stuff. Wait, now when you say uh, we become a problem with admissions, what are you getting at? Well, people talk about like how there's too many Asians in school and too many Asians in universities. And then that might be the case. I think I think Harvard said that if they did take away race and I I'm totally backing affirmative action. I have no problem saying that as a journalist about my opinion on that. But um, they said it would be like 45% Asian. So mm-hmm. I understand that. I understand that. But, you know, it's like you know, when you look in the workforce, when you look in the newsroom, and, you know, there it's not like full of South Asians or Asian Americans or East Asian Americans, you know. I don't think, you know, there are certain fields, most fields, it's not full of Asians. Yeah, well, I, in general, I think, again, we have this ideal of a meritocracy, for the no, sure. The notion that uh, you're, if you're really good at something, you will succeed. But when you take a closer look, we see that the meritocracy breaks down. And my favorite example uh, is in football, or somehow or other. I know I'm not really a huge football fan, but <laughs> yeah, I probably don't get it. Uh, but Colin Kaepernick could not find a role on any team, even though he was clearly better at quarterback than at least half the backup yeah. quarterback. Suddenly meritocracy went out the window yeah. when it came to, so, I mean, we pick and choose. Of course, and, and like I said, I don't think just, just because someone goes to Harvard or Yale or they're gonna be successful, it's not true. I'm just saying, you know, kids do wanna go there, and I'm not saying that kids are better. I know so many people who went to community college and, you know, they kind of worked their way up and ended up going to state school. When I look back, at my like college degree, I went to Loyola for undergrad, Northwestern for grad school. My parents thought private school meant better. Yeah. And if I did it all over again, I would have went to a state school. I, I would have, you know. I agree 100% with that point. Now, the other thing you mentioned, which I thought was a very interesting observation uh, that you met, you made uh, this morning, Romano, when we were chatting, is that um, many of the people, the parents who are indicted are women. 
were the moms. Yeah. The dads were left off the hook. Explain well, to folks your okay, theory Okay, so there. I don't know. Did you watch Full, Full House? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I saw more than one episode of Full uh, Wait, what's so, that one, D, where he would go? Uh, have mercy? Uncle Joey, oh, cut, Uncle it jo- out. He cut, cut it out. Cut it out. <laughs> cut In, it out. A little insight here. Ben Jarofsky loves Uncle Joey. Yeah, Joey. Do you, love, you remember Uncle Joey? Yeah, of course. That my, guy's hilarious, My younger siblings used to watch uh, Full House, so you know I would kind of walk by and I'd wait, watch Wait, look it, how so. she just... Uh, I didn't watch it. <laughs> I always I was blame my siblings listening for that. to WBEZ. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, but but they would watch it. So, but Lori Lachlan, I I just learned how to say her name properly yeah. yesterday. But she um, was Aunt Becky on the show, and you know she she was married to Uncle Jesse, and uh, so she. But you know her husband was charged too. His her husband was a okay. designer, Mosimo Jelani, mm-hmm. Um but. Felicity Huffman, the mm-hmm. other actress on Desperate Housewives, her husband, William Macy, who's also this award-winning actor, mm-hmm. he allegedly agreed to the scheme of having his daughter's SAT scores like padded, and but he was not charged. So my theory is, this is just a theory and a hunch, is that you know the mothers are usually doing all the follow, <laughs> follow up on yeah. all the college stuff. So I was talking to people in the newsroom, I'm like, I bet he just was not talking to these people after the first initial meeting. So it's like they have her on the phone or they have her, you know, signature somewhere. So I think he got lucky. This is my theory. I think he got lucky just being a man in this uh, situation and acting like a man. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, in in my household, uh, I was utterly obsessive about, uh, I have to admit this, uh, my daughter's playing basketball. And so if there was... (laughs) I was the guy driving that train, and my wife was relatively indifferent. But when it came uh, to college applications and everything, she sort of took the lead on that yeah, one. Yeah, so. I did. I did all my college applications by myself because you know my parents. You know my parents are both smart and they're educated, but they just didn't know how the college system works. So we did all those stuff. We did all our applications. No, this by is ourselves. clearly a change uh, that has evolved over time. For sure. Uh, if the previous generation of mine was not nearly as fixated on these kinds of no. things. Uh, and quote, cause they're immigrant, just they were immigrant general generation. Uh, the parents didn't know anything about college or applications or fancy high schools, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. My parents just thought private high school, it's, I mean, private college, college. better. Um, all right, now that's something else is on my mind. You used to be, a, uh, used to cover the criminal courts building and this story broke, uh, I think it was yesterday, the day before, uh, Jussie Smollett, of course, uh, the actor from Empire, um, who has, uh, been indicted for making up a crime, uh, really, um, that didn't exist, making up a crime that didn't exist. Now it turns out that they, we finally understand why Cook County State's attorney, uh, Kim Fox had to recuse herself, uh, from, uh, overseeing that case, uh, Talk a little bit about that. So Kim Fox had recused herself about a month ago, I want to say, like once it turned out that that he was charged, charged for, um, you know, allegedly faking uh, hate crime. So what happened was, so we had a reporter, Andy Grimm, who covers criminal courts now, uh, FOIA information and text messages and why specifically she had to recuse herself. So it turns out that um, when the initial crime was reported by Jesse Smollett, um, Kim Fox's office was in touch with Tina Chen, who is Michelle Obama's uh, former former First Lady Michelle Obama's chief of staff. And she talked to um, Kim Fox and had told her that, um, you know, she was friends with a relative of Jesse Smollett's. So, you know, Kim Fox talked to this relative 
and she also talked to Eddie Johnson about asking if this uh, if this um, case could be turned over to the FBI. It never was, but uh, she turned that information over. Now, um, you know, people might be like, oh, is she supposed to be doing things like that? And someone, you know, when our, our reporter, Andy, talked to a defense attorney and an expert, and he said it's not really unusual for a uh, prosecutor to, top prosecutor to talk to reach out to, you know, the different police sources and, you know, let them know. But Kim Fox was also talking to this relative that had reached out to Tina Chen. Yeah. So that's why she kind of, she recused herself from this case. Yeah, I have. So I'm really curious what our next guest, uh, Mark Sims, has opinions on everything. So <laughs> I'm going to really grill him on this one. Uh, I have some problems with, with this, uh, Ramada, and uh, feel free to disagree or enlighten me, uh, if you will. I, it, it's, it's not so much... The issue, uh, if Kim Fox talked to Eddie Johnson about whether this should go under the purview of the FBI, it's that somebody called her uh, and with a request, uh, Tina Chen, with a request, almost like an inside favor of uh, the Cook County State's attorney, who I would like to think is above inside favors, and it's all about just pursuing facts yeah and i think that's what a lot of people probably look at it as saying like okay so you had someone who's pretty powerful call you and then you know you made a couple phone calls for this person so i don't know in a way it's good that she recused herself but yeah somebody might be saying like why does this case get special investigate you know special you know treatment as opposed to another case like if there was another man who was charged in a hate or you know had you know, I guess at that point it was like just Jesse Smollett was the victim yeah. before he became. Yeah, he the, was the victim the before he became the defendant. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. So it just, well, I guess she was working from the assumption that he was a victim. Yes. Um, but it just, I don't know, there's something unseemly about it. And then it just, the exchange themselves, I urge everybody to check it out, like the Oh My Gods that they wrote. Yeah, and, yeah. And we actually have a copy of all the text messages we didn't attach it to the story but andy grim had gotten the text messages too which i thought was really good i think he he said that he was um because we actually had the story like a maybe a day or two before we actually printed it and then you know this college you know admission scam came out so we're like you know we're gonna hold the story for a day and he's like yeah i was told that nobody asked the same kind of questions i did in their four-year request so i'm the only ones who got these text messages so you know that was that was a good catch on his part or a good get by the way, I have to say, you go back to the college thing, I forgot to say this. Uh, there is a Romana connection to the college scandal there's, of sorts, a long stretch one. There's, uh, there's always a six degree, uh, degree of separation between me and someone in the news these days. But um, there, uh, so William Singer, William Rick Singer, who is the, the alleged mastermind behind these this college admission scandal, apparently had grown up in the Chicago area and just between us right now, we're still trying to pin things down, but I'm on a, um, I grew up in Lincolnwood, which is a suburb right outside of Chicago. And I went to Niles West High School. And so I'm on this Facebook group where all these people from Lincolnwood are chatting. So people who are around his age are like, wait, he played baseball with me and he played on the Lincolnwood youth baseball team and people are exchanging pictures. So apparently he went to Niles West High School and 
may have grown up in Lincolnwood. We're still trying to pin that down. So, and in the Jesse Smollett thing, I want to tell you also there is a producer of the show who went to junior high with my sister. So there's a connection there too. So I'm telling you, there's always a connection, a Lincolnwood connection, even though it's a town with 12,000 people. All right, here for 10 trivia points and a free blue Mustang. Name the two other people in the news who are of the last year or so who are also graduates of Niles West High School. Uh, and these two guys went to Lincolnwood too. Um, Merrick Garland. Very good. He grew up not. He grew up on the same <laughs> block that I grew up on, like right around around the block. He's a little older than you. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's like my mom's age. Okay. But you know, when he was, uh, you know, when Barack Obama mentioned his name, all the news trucks were in my in in our old neighborhood. And then the other one is uh, Papadopoulos. Very good. <laughs> he actually went to uh, high school with. Um, a family friend of mine. Papadopoulos, of course, was implicated in the uh, uh, scandal re- regarding Trump, uh, the Trump campaign, and the collusion with Russia. Uh, so, not such an illustrious graduate. No, no, no. But we've we, we've have um, we've had other we had some other famous people too. All right. Uh, so you were victorious. Our next guest, Mark Sims, will give you a blue Mustang when he comes <laughs> uh, when he comes onto the show. Um, moving on to far something far more serious uh, and uh, somber. Let's talk about what uh, what happened in New Zealand. This story is sort sort of breaking right now um, with the uh, murders in two mosques, the killings in two mosques. Uh, Forty nine people, I think. Forty nine as as of this time. Um, I had gone to lunch for a little bit, so I haven't seen the latest wire stories. But uh, Forty nine victims at two mosques in New Zealand, and I believe there's four people arrested, including one woman. So far, four people. I did not know that. I haven't four, seen the four people arrested. Four people arrested. I think one man was charged with murder. Um, one of the. Um, I don't know if this is the same person, but there was. There was about 40 to 42 victims at the one of the mosques yeah. and the rest were at the others. But apparently this guy was wearing some sort of helmet or hat. So he was live streaming this on Facebook. And uh, it's, it's the man who did the shooting. The was man who did the, sh- it did the shooting, you know, and so like, you know, I think by accident, people are watching this and just it's just horrific. And um, I think he had a seven seventy five page manifesto on white supremacy and. Um, anti-immigration sentiment. So it's definitely very tragic. I know in Chicago, um, a lot of mosques and uh, Muslim-related uh, centers are asking for more police um, police security today. Um, Fridays, are just so people know, are like the holiest day of the week for Muslims. It's kind of like Sabbath for Jewish people on Saturdays and Sundays for Christian people. So Fridays, you know, Muslims pray five times a day, but there's a Friday um, prayer Mm -hmm. that a lot of people attend because it's supposed to be better if you do it in congregation. So there's some people that I know don't do the five prayers, but they do the Friday prayers. They think it's that important. So these mosques were probably very full, Mm -hmm. I can tell you. And from what I read is that there were mostly refugees and immigrants that were in there. And uh, it just sounds like a horrific thing. I'm sure we're going to hear more. As, as the time goes on, I think we're learning a little bit more about the um, the gunmen. And, you know, people are looking at what politicians here are saying, obviously, because, you know, we do have a lot of politicians here who have said um, anti-Muslim things. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of Islamophobic comments coming out of, you know, the mouths of many people who are supposed to be our leaders. So, you know, I think people are talking about that on Twitter. I've seen like a lot of chatter on that and, you know, 
I know Donald Trump had put out an apology and people are responding to that and I not apology, this. not an apology. I shouldn't say apology. Wait, Donald Trump. Donald Trump had a comment about New Zealand and say, hey, we'll do whatever we can do to help. And I saw someone said, how about stop, stop enabling white supremacy? I didn't say that. Someone else said that. So people are responding to that. And, and they're, they're noting that a lot of politicians are saying they feel bad for the victims, but they're not mentioning that there are Muslim victims. So, you know, I know a lot. There's, there's going to be, a, even though this happened in New Zealand, it's something that can translate here because I think the Islamophobia is definitely not something that's contained in one part of the world. Well, we talked earlier about your upbringing of suburban Lincolnwood, which is a very integrated, uh, diverse community in Niles West High School, very diverse high school, uh, Christians, Jews, Muslims, etc. Any kind of lessons that you learn or that they taught that you learned uh, in Lincolnwood at Niles West that could be applied to the larger world when we see things like this? Well, actually, when I grew up, Lincolnwood is not very diverse, but... In a way, like it was a it was a mostly Jewish community when my family moved in. We were probably the first people of color that actually moved into our block. But I think one of the things that was interesting is that, um, or I think that was a little different because I had friends that grew up in the northwest part of the city, not too far from us, and mm-hmm. they dealt with a lot of prejudice. I felt like a lot of we lived in places where there's a lot of older people who remember the Holocaust and were just always nice to us and it was something that we talked about did we face prejudice of course but it was something that you know we learned we did i i knew more about jewish people than i knew about catholics when i started (laughs) i didn't i really didn't know that much about catholic culture until i started working in the city i remember i was telling someone the other day the first time on ash wednesday i saw these people with stuff on their forehead and the markings on the forehead and i was like what is that? And then I just had to learn a lot about Catholicism yeah. when I started working in the city. But when I grew up, I grew up with mostly Jewish people. And we had a lot of Asian Americans in our school. We had a lot of Korean kids. There was a spattering of Indian kids. And kind of it got more diverse as it went on. And I know people who taught at the schools, and they say it's a lot more diverse. And they said, you know, one of my friends that is a judge now, she said she was glad that she grew up with uh with me and other people because she's like you know we did learn to you know about our differences and just how to be with different people and i'm sure it's like with like that with a lot of schools but i did grow up in a mostly jewish community at the time and you know you learn uh, you know as a person of color and as a person who belongs to a religion that's not like the what the majority are practicing you learn you end up learning more about the other person's you know, absolutely religion it, and you know it's funny you should say that because uh again i got a i forget how many years i have and you're always reminded how much older i am in somebody <laughs> you're in not the room. Sure. but i am old but uh i was just the opposite for me when uh i was a kid in rhode island uh, I was surrounded by Catholics and there were hardly any Jews around. Uh, so I learned a lot more about like just Catholicism That's uh, from, I know it's Italians and I, Irish. I grew up singing the dreidel song. Yeah. So, you know, and I made him, I know everybody finds this funny. I made a menorah in shop class. That was one of the things you make. At Niles West? At uh, This was at my junior high, high school, Lincoln Hall in Lincolnwood. So they made you take shop? Yeah, we all had to take shop. It was something that, you know, you took home ec one time and then you took... Uh, home ec, arts, and then we had shop, and then music. But we did take shop, and we made menorahs. I, I remember they called it candelabras, but it's the same thing. That's hilarious. But it's right? like it had eight little candles, and you know, we had it in our house. My parents didn't know what it was, but we I did. made a. Um, I did. I took shop. They made me take shop and home ec. I had to do the. Like, uh, what is it called? Darn a sock. They had taught us how to do that. I was like, with the, put the thimble on there. Uh, but I made a uh, checkerboard, which was the worst checkerboard in the world. 
Oh, in, and, and, in shop? Oh, yeah. Yeah, shop. And I ended up using as my parents, my mom, put use it as a coaster because uh, it was too uneven to play. You know, the checkers would uh, not fit. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, before I let you go, uh, thoughts on the mayor's race? Any general thoughts yeah. you have? Uh, Lori Lightfoot be coming in yeah, in about I a half that. an hour. Yeah. I think it's interesting as it's winding down. It's definitely like, I think like at least on our side, you know, we're doing everything. Like at this point, it's like every minutia that's happening. Sometimes you just kind of like, okay, it's like I'm hearing about this 24 seven. I think, I think as it winds down, there's just going to be, I think a few more jabs at, you know, I think Tony and, uh, Laurie Lightfoot are going to be taking a few more jabs before this is over, which is very normal. I think I think the Tribune had an article the other day that said, you know, people should expect that just because they're women, they're not going to be the same as like if it was a bunch of white guys or just take, you know, they're taking the they're basically going to be kind of going after each other because they kind of have they do kind of have the same political they lean the same way mm-hmm. i would so, take kind of out of that sentence yes, yeah yeah absolutely. i should say i shouldn't say kind of so like now it's i think it's just going to be a battle of who's more progressive than the other person mm-hmm. and now i think everybody's paying attention you know we're paying you know seeing the alderman that had endorsed her nick spazato and i forgot the other person but uh, napolitano. Uh, napolitano matt o'shea you know had endorsed Lori lightfoot so then people are going to be like well, why are you taking endorse? You know, why are you okay with that? You know, I'm like, so I'm sh- I'm sure there's going to be like, you know, and I know Tony Parkwinkle's uh, had put out a message after she got the endorsements from those two people because aren't they? I, the other day, um, Carlos Ramirez Rosa said that they're pro-Trump, anti-immigrant, yeah. and, you know. So I, I think these questions are going to come out. I know with the Mara Enya, I was I was a little perplexed when she took money from Kanye, and I'm like, you know, Kanye's where's the MAGA hat not yeah. to say that you know but it's it's, it's just interesting so I well, think I, my advice take the money I, I mean <laughs> really that's why so, I just said that earlier I mean if you're but if you're in a campaign the other person people have uh Bill Daly's getting millions true. uh you know and uh Tony but, Prickwick but has don't money. you think I know a lot of people think progressive they don't they think you're going to be I know it's like they're not they're not going to be pure like I don't, I don't think whoever <laughs> yeah, comes in, true. I don't think whoever comes into the mayor's office is just like, oh, they're going to come in and it's just going to be like heaven, you know, or like it's like the birds are going to be chirping and you know the sun's going to be out. So I think one of the things, <laughs> I mean, I I think that's how some people yeah, think. They yeah. think if it's not going to be rom, it's going to be wonderful, and yeah. it's going to. People don't realize it's a lot more complicated than that. And then yeah. that they, you know, people even though they said they're going all this way, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they're so progressive, they're so left of center. They'll get closer to the center, I'm sure, once they're sitting on the fifth floor office. All right. That's Ramana Hussein. It's the Ramana Rundown, right? Nice. nice. Oh, man. Whew, get that. <laughs> we get it right. Every Friday right here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's a blast talking to you, Ramana. Have a great weekend. Thank you. And Me we'll too. see you next Friday. All right. Next up on the Ben Jarofsky Show, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Fenger High School, Mark Sims. Can't wait to bring him on. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. 
Where can you download The Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, March 15th is just moments away. But before we go any further, we have to remind you once again that this Ben Jarofsky program is brought to you by unions. That's right. We're union strong. These hardworking men and women were kind enough to get behind us in this online podcasting experience. So we would like to thank the following unions for making this show possible. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith Workers, Local Local 126 and District 8. Uh, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. Also, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Big thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. All right, people. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show starts now. Thank goodness it is Friday, March 15th, and live from the Chicago Reader, Chicago Sun-Times studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of our program, we welcome our dear friend, Mark Sims, and, oh, he just gave me a fist bump, and we welcome 2019 Chicago mayoral candidate Lori Lightfoot into our humble studio. And now your host, not a Chicago mayoral candidate. That's the last thing we want, guys. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Oh, no, I could never be a Chicago mayoral. Can I be always, like, changing my mind? Yeah, that sounds good. You know, Mark Sims, I'm old. my mind is like a flag flapping in the breeze. One day it goes this way, the other goes that way. So, no, I can never be a Chicago mayoral candidate for that and many other reasons. Anyway, before we bring Mark Sims on, before we bring Lori Lightfoot on, Dr. D, you got an update for me? Absolutely. We have some mayoral candidate endorsements, more to announce here. Once again, our Chicago mayoral election is Tuesday, April 2nd, and it looks like more Chicago political bigwigs are throwing their support to their favorite candidate with 18 days to go until the runoff. The following comes from Fran, the woe man Spielman of the Chicago Sun-Times. By the way, people. 
you're really missing out if you've yet to check out the Fran Spielman Show on the Sun-Times website. Just saying. Just saying. Fantastic program. Lori Lightfoot's effort to expand her base beyond the north side and north lakefront took a giant step forward on Thursday. With the endorsement of the 19th Ward Committeeman, Ben, for 10 trivia points, who is the 19th Ward Committeeman? Uh, Matt O'Shea. Oh, Alderman my Matt goodness. O'Shea. No notes, everybody. He's, he just <laughs> knew that on his own. Yeah. Huge political dork, our host. Uh, Lightfoot finished fourth in the 19th Ward with just 1,702 votes, just ahead of Tony Preckwinkle at 1,629. Candidate Jerry Joyce dominated that ward, the 19th Ward, because he lives there with 9,900. 98 votes so you would assume that soon to follow will more than likely be an endorsement from jerry joyce right ben i would gather that one would follow the other is that has that happened yet uh not at the moment but uh, we will keep you posted if that does happen but people wait there's more uh-huh. the lightfoot endorsement train is still rolling we have another mayoral candidate throwing their support to Lori lightfoot uh, i believe two days ago we announced that uh paul vallis endorsed Lori lightfoot ben what were your thoughts on that again uh, I was not surprised, actually, that Paul Vallis would endorse Lori Lightfoot. Uh, by the way, Paul Vallis, uh, for most of his career, has been an aide to powerful people. I don't think he's ever held elected office. He's run for office at least three times. He's lost each time. So a lot of cynics in the city of Chicago, and there are a lot of cynics out there. Just as a little while ago, one of our listeners, a little cynical uh, gentleman, suggested that Beto O'Rourke's presidential campaign is all about advancing his name for some kind of appointment. Uh, Many people thought that Paul Vallis uh, was really gearing up to uh, have whoever the next mayor is appoint him to some powerful position. We'll see about that. But endorsing Lori Lightfoot, uh, maybe that means that if Lori Lightfoot is elected Mayor City of Chicago, she'll bring back Paul Vallis uh, in some form or fashion. So Paul Vallis was the last one we announced. Our next uh, former mayoral candidate throwing their support to Lori Lightfoot. He was the former chief of staff for one Richard M. Daly. And yeah, he ran for mayor twice. But boy, we just cannot get over <laughs> how much yeah. this guy sounds like actor Eugene Levy. Thank you, each and every one of you. And thank you for being here this evening. The first thing I want to say to everyone is, again, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Uh, and I can't say it enough. Thanks from the bottom. Okay, you said it like eight times. <laughs> That's right, everybody. Gary Chico. He does sound so much like Eugene Levy from Best in Show. I did not know that. Gary Chico has endorsed Lori Lightfoot. Ben, what does this mean for the Lori Lightfoot campaign moving Well, forward? again, you know, that may help with Gary Chico voters, Hispanic voters. Uh, Gary Chico didn't do that well in this race. Uh, he was number two to Rahm in 2011, so his name, you know, he's known in the city of Chicago. I think what it is everything now is about building momentum with endorsements so every endorsement somebody gets it's like see we're we're now gonna be the front runner join us there's this mentality the city of chicago mark simpson and i have talked about this before in the uh it's that people want to be with the winner it's just like i i could never really understand this uh but i'm gonna go with the winner i've heard this so this was such a theory that that People thought that that dictated people's behavior when it came to voting in the 90s with Daly. Well, Daly's going to win. I got to be with the winner. Like, you vote for Daly, it's in a booth. No one knows who you voted for, but it's like, oh, he'll know. (laughs) Give me a job. Plow my streets. Anyway, so the notion of momentum, want to go with the winner. That's what it's all about. All right, everybody. Like I said, we'll keep you posted here if uh, more updates like that become available. And uh, I was going to play that Gary Chico thing one more time, but we're good. Let's move on. All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Gary Chico. Uh, 
does indeed sound a lot like Eugene Levy. My next guest, as I've been saying, Mark Sims, cable uh, access TV show talk superstar. Many years ago, I was on his show. Now he comes on my show. And uh, it's good to have Mark Sims back. Got to lean into these microphones, young man. Welcome I ain't back. said nothing yet. <laughs> I was, man, this is a totally different environment than other places. I know. You know. What do you think of this place? It's nice, huh? No, it's no, no, no. Yes, no. It's different. Don't get me started about it. I can, I can do a whole dissertation in that other place. Oh, okay, we're not talking I, about the other place. I'll tell you off air how I feel about it. You know what I'm saying. All right, the other place. Yoda yeah. was great. Yeah, Yoda's man. Okay. Yeah, Yoda's man. Can I hire this young man? Oh yeah. I've been thinking about doing a podcast for over a year, but I'm so damn lazy. Are you for hire, man? Oh, let's do Consulting it, man. Consulting fee. I'll do. I'll do anything I got 50 for you, cent, man. <laughs> Dude, I'll do. It. I'll do it for 15 cents. Uh, no, no. We go. We. I want to compete with Ben. Be okay. on the same time. Ben on with Mark Sims. Blood. Wait, why, why compete? Why not just have it part of one giant empire? You can come before or after. There we go. We just cut a deal. It's Chicago. Now, I hope that Lloyd Lightfoot's people are not listening to this podcast <laughs> as they come over from down the street over here. And speaking of down the street, I parked somewhere in oh, Berwyn I hope to find so. a parking space to walk back. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm how like, you do geez. it. Well, I told you to take the blue line. Remember the old days in the old place? I'd go take Elson Avenue. I'm scared to catch the train, man. Oh, come I ain't on. been on the red line. I live like 95th Street, right? I ain't been on the red line in here. I'm scared to take the red line downtown. Uh, Mark Sims, ladies and gentlemen, is a uh, Born and raised in the city of Chicago. If you don't, uh, if you never heard him on my old show, born and raised in the city of Chicago, proud graduate of Fenger High School, one of the most illustrious grads. In in fact, for ten trivia points, uh-uh. what recent mayoral candidate also graduated from Fenger High School? Marcus Sims. Recent mayoral, mayoral candidate. It's got to be Paul Vallis. Very good. Can we give this man oh a blue Mustang? No. no. Oh. I don't know where I pulled that from. From the deep inside my. Yeah, something there. Yeah. But uh, anyway, he's from the, the South. See, when side. I went to Finger back in the 70s, I remember they would always talk about Elliot Ness mm-hmm. attending Finger High School, graduating from Finger High School, the Elliot Ness. He, Elliot Ness? That's what I always heard back in the day, Elliot Ness. I don't know how true that is. Yeah, I don't know how true that is at but all. But every school should have a Hall of Fame. I know Dunbar had one. I, I was doing, I used to do uh, career days for many years, but they have kicked me out of the <laughs> schools. I don't do career days anymore. Uh, well, you get your own podcast, so it might be better know, for career but, days. Yeah, I, used to, I, like to, I used to love to let the kitties have it, man. I used, to, I used to tell them, hey, they got computers and robots. They don't really need your labor. What are you going to, you know, come on, let's go. It's over. <laughs> you know, so it, you know, so they let, they don't want me in the schools. But I, I remember going to Dunbar, and they had, like, the Hall of Fame. Harlan had one, too. Hall of Fame. That yeah. was so cool. Every school that's still open, because Finger may be closed in a couple of years. You yeah, know, it happens, yeah. right? Demographic changes. But they should have a Hall of Fame, because you'll be shocked, like, uh, 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 I know people that went to old Calumet High School, and I know Shaka Khan. She was Yvette Stevens, I believe. Wait, Shaka Khan? I thought she went to Kenwood. I think she went to two schools. She may have been a, a Calumet only by one or two years. Tell me something good. Of Sorry. course. No, I just, that was a bad you, you joke. Hang tight, millennials. You mean it. When I, when I was a limo driver, I drove Shaka. It was such a treat. She was magnificent. Wait, time out. Did you tell me this already? You drove Shaka Khan? I drove a lot of people when I was. Uh, I did Beyonce, not know you drove, drove Shaka Khan. That's did why, you, know, did you tell her you were a big fan of hers? It, it was it was cool. I can't say anymore. It was right, great. Right. Wow. But the point is that but the late <laughs> you gotta great, save that for the, the real no, podcast. No, no, no. Wish the late great Kirby Peckett went to the old Cayuga. That is correct. And a lot of people went uh, to these old schools. And the thing about it is that whether they went one year, two years, that history we're not passing on, even trivial history like that. All right. Now, this reminds me of something i got to share with you. I may have shared this with you in the past, but I remember in a debate in 2011, God, 
God, time is flying. And uh, all the mayoral candidates at the time, except for Rahm, showed up for this debate to discuss education. And it was um, Reverend uh, Reverend Meeks was there. Uh, who else was there? Gary Chico was there. Uh, Carol Mosley Braun was there. I'm doing this from memory. And um, the uh, Devay, Miguel Devay was there, and they were all graduates, or they'd all attended Chicago public high schools. And they talked about it, the glory days of Chicago public high schools. These were neighborhood high schools back in the late 60s and uh, uh, early uh, 1970s. Do you think that there's been a significant change in the attitude that people throughout the city have toward these ordinary high schools? Like we were talking about uh, earlier with Ramana, people want to get a, that magic ticket into these Ivy League colleges. But back in the day, people just who are now our leaders went to ordinary neighborhood high schools. That was back in the day. <laughs> your day. Yeah. I, uh, Michelle, that was before, yeah. Yeah, Robinson, right, your day. Uh, Michelle Robinson, I think she's a year younger than me, year and a half younger than me. And I think when she went to Whitney Young, it had to be brand new. It and, was seven years old. It was built in 75. Well, I graduated from grammar school in 76, so I'm I believe. Yeah, actually, you're right. You know what? You're, you know what Michelle Robinson graduated from Whitney Young, I want to say, in 1982. Yeah, she's so about a year and a half younger. Yeah, seven and years. And so, so the thing about it, a lot of students, I'm talking about the African-American community, and we weren't quite <laughs> Negroes. We were black back in the 70s. We became African-American in the 80s, and now people see me as a person of color, you know. But I was young. I was just a high yellow Negro, okay? <laughs> Back in the day. Things changed in the yeah, past 50 years. Changed. But what I'm saying, the motto was, for my generation, my, and I'm going to get to, I'm going to turn this over to Lori Lightfoot because I know she's listening. Uh-huh. Hopefully I don't run out of here before she <laughs> gets here because I'm going to say so. No, you're going to stay right no, there. No, no, I'm, fr- I'm afraid. It's, she, she may be the new mayor, you know what I'm saying? The mayor of the city of Chicago. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's going to be good. So, now, no, let me get back to my point. I get to babbling. Now, a lot of African-American uh, families, if they, if they really believed in education, they didn't send their children to the Chicago public schools. They went to Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. And that was like a, my alderman who may be defeated, who may not be defeated. Brookins? Uh, alderman Brookins. I think mm-hmm. he went to the old uh, Mendel Catholic prep when it was I all boys back correct. in the day. Mm-hmm. Back in the day. And those of y'all remember the old uh, uh, the Mendel Catholic, the Mendel uh, Tatlin show was a big deal back in the day, which I actually played that show in the 80s. 80s long story, not in, not in the 70s. I'll take that off again. Okay. <laughs> I guess everybody has stories, but yeah. the point is that that was the motto. If you didn't go to Catholic school, you went to like Bryn Mawr, like Michelle Robinson, and you went to the, uh, to the Magna School, and off you went. Mm-hmm. I dropped out of high school in 1980, and here we are 40 years later, and I've been Jawarski Joe, Benny J. Wait, time out. You, you dropped out of I. I, I, know, I always, I I always tell people I dropped out. Like, I only had a couple of credits. I was a troubled teen. Yeah. That's why I'm passionate about public education because I know how uh, some people don't get a good education, they do well. Mm-hmm. Some people get a good education and they do very poorly. But you have to get a decent education. And we, hopefully the new mayor, Miss Lightfoot is listening as she comes over to the studio, <laughs> that the new mayor, whoever she is, yeah. really transformed public education. And not like this old model, we shouldn't be totally relying on the building and the teacher to transform children. Remember the children who are, I'm excuse me for babbling. Me, Go ahead, you're The children roll. who are going to school now, especially in grammar school, like almost like 60% of them are being trained for jobs, if you will, that don't even exist. Like what? No, I don't know. They don't exist yet. What am I saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's a lot of jobs right now that they they they're prepared. They got jobs right now uh, mm-hmm. for computers and robots, computer robots and algorithms. They may even take 
well, you'll be retired by then. They won't take your job. Dennis, you, you're on your own. <laughs> but, the, but, but the point is that, that the, the, right now uh, they project that in America half the jobs will be gig economy jobs mm-hmm. or there'll be a, a contract jobs, a freelance jobs. Half the jobs will be here's your 1099. You got paid. Beat it. Mm-hmm. That means we need a public option really soon. Mm-hmm. And then so we have to train uh, young people how to be creative because the only shot we have, I mean, I'm talking about little kids, some big kids, only shot you have in the future with all these algorithms and all all these robots is your creativity, your humanness, and they have to tr- they have to teach creativity and humanness. How to be an entrepreneur since half the jobs are more going to be contract jobs, like you know. So it's it's changing so fast, and you know who's always last: the politicians and the and the policy wonks. Well, so we we have to think about Chicago ten or twenty years from now. Now, when I talk that people in the hood where I live, where I was out, oh, we don't hear about twenty years. What about today, brother? I need money now. I need something to eat now. I need to feed my family. But we have to think about 10 or 20 years from now. Now, we know that in 10 years or so, you know, your boy Alden Lowry knows this stuff. Yes. The African-American population will be half of what it is now or what it, what it was when Harold Washington was elected yeah. in 1983. Mm-hmm. It was about 1.2 million. It'd be about 600,000. I don't plan on going anywhere, but neighborhoods do tend to change in, in, uh, in three generations. My, I live where I live. It's probably not going to flip. Parts of Roseland may be more Hispanic. Park definitely Inglewood is going to be a, a, a Latino Hispanic yeah. community. People are Inglewood coming back? No, it ain't. I'm only a, f- a few miles from Inglewood. It's going to be a, it's going to flourish as a Latino community. Black folks are done in this town. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. Let's pause for a moment. We talked about this many times on the old show uh, about the um, decline in black population in the city of Chicago. And I remember back in the '90s, uh, black politicals were always trying to figure out how. They could uh, get a, a one united behind one black candidate uh, to go against Richie Daly and try to beat Daly, get a black a mayor back in the city of Chicago. Here we are uh, 20 years later. Black population has declined throughout the city of Chicago. And guess what? Guaranteed. The next mayor of the city of Chicago will be a black woman. What do you make of that? Before I get to Perkwick with uh, Lori Lightfoot, as she drives over from office right down the street over here. To, I hope she's, she's listening keeps, to you right she, I hope now. She, keeps, she may say, turn the car around. <laughs> that Mark Sims is there. The, no, August, I mean, seriously, Natalie Moore wrote a great article. Mm-hmm. You have Natalie on recently? I have not ever had Natalie Moore. She's she, very difficult. She, oh. You think it would be easy to get Natalie Moore She writes Moore for the Sun-Times. My beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. You're Sun-Times. in the building right now. Yeah, well, How maybe hard could we, it be? Maybe now that we've Talk moved. Talk to somebody down the hall. Maybe now that we've moved to this location, yeah, we I mean, can get Natalie Moore on. She had a great article about stop chasing the ghost of Harold Washington. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, but then again, a lot of folks in this town don't even know who Harold Washington is. Remind me to get back to Perkwick and Lori. All I'm right, gonna, I'm okay. gonna I see where you're going with I'm babbling. Because when I was in Finger High School in 1979, <laughs> uh, we, uh, this town of, uh, elected their first female mayor. Yes. Now, I couldn't vote for uh, 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 Jane Byrne in 79 because I was too young. I was 17, 16, 17. But I voted against her in 83. Yeah. Long story. But like we said before, that election when when, when Harold Washington split Dick and Jane and, and knocked Jane and Dick out and became mayor, when Richie got in, he said, that never happened again. We're going to never have another Harold Washington or black whatever to come in and split the vote and that's never going to happen again. He probably living thinking his wildest dream what he created this nonpartisan election would basically knock his brother out yeah. and put two black women in. Unfreaking. <laughs> That's why this town is so good, man. That's yeah. why I can't leave, man. It's so good. I ain't leaving. I ain't going nowhere. Until the neighborhood turns Latino, maybe I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mark Sims is his name. He's in the studio. Uh, somehow or other, we're going to get around to talking about uh, Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preck. We got to take a break, young man. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Mark Sims. 
Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read The Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, Chicago, you want to get enlightened? Want to know what's going on? Want to learn? Huh? Well, then join the Chicago Sun-Times at one of our upcoming Hear Our Voice community forums and take that deep dive into Chicago politics. There was already one forum. It was at the DuSable Museum of African American History in Hyde Park. Now I'm going to tell you about the second oh, forum. Oh, thank goodness. I missed the first one. Well, you don't. You can't miss the second one. All Good. right, D? Write this down. Okay, Monday, March 18th. That's Monday, Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Arturo Velasquez Institute in Pilsen. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> Monday, March. Things are just falling from the ceiling here. Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Arturo Velasquez Institute in Pilsen. It features panelists Mark Brown, Carla Ballesteros from the Sun-Times, Rosanna Marquez from AARP, and Fernando Diaz from the Chicago Reporter. And best of all, Dr. D, you're going to love what I'm going to say next. It's free. F-R-E-E-E, free? (laughs) F-R-E-E, and as Mark Sims can tell you, free means you don't have to pay to go there, all right? So you can go see this great show, Monday, March 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Arturo Velasquez Institute. Learn about what's going on in the city of Chicago, and if you want any details, go to suntimes.com. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Lori Lightfoot will be in the studio pretty soon. Lori Lightfoot, candidate for Mayor of City of Chicago. A lot of questions to ask her. Mark Sims is in the studio right now. The man, the myth, the legend, pride of joy of Fenger High School. Uh, the South Side's own Mark Sims in the studio. He's staying on the South Side even if every other black person leaves. Is that what you're telling me, Mark? I'll be the old man. Is not, that's what Mr. Sims lived. He's been there since, like, the 60s, man. Oh, my God. Things are, you know what? Uh, the, the population in the city of Chicago, the black population has drastically dropped, as you were talking about. Uh, Chris Kennedy said during the campaign, and I absolutely agree with him, that the policy of the Mayor Rahm administration, the policy of the Mayor Daley, he didn't put Daley in, I slipped Daley in, was to um, what? Promote gentrification. And that automatically means that a lot of people are going to have to move a lot of black people. Uh, you disagreed with me. No, on that I'm all point. for it. I told you I voted for Rob <laughs> in the did. hopes he would, would push some low income criminal Negroes out of Chicago. And he indirectly probably has. And But it's OK, because, like I said, the experts say that a lot of a lot of uh, neighborhoods in Chicago flipping three, three generations. Bronzeville has had the longest ethnic group black folks but we, we, no one none of us gonna live forever 
Nobody's coming from the South anymore. It's a cold weather city. But and what, what I was saying earlier, but since we're going to be 600,000 in this town in 2030, as they estimate, how do we become a more vibrant, a more dynamic black community, although we are a will be a smaller and ever shrinking black community? That's the challenge. But that's that's too much for folks head, little heads to say, how could how are we going to be smaller, but we can still be dynamic? It can be done. We have to think about this, people. By the way, uh, there are those who predict that in a few decades, uh, as global warming takes hold in this country and uh, the South becomes uninhabitable, uninhabitable because of heat, hurricanes, et cetera, and so forth, uh, fires, it's, there will be a, re- a reverse, a migration back to the city of Chicago, the, the uh, cooler climate, the fresh water supply of fresh Lake Michigan. Water. Fresh, fresh water. water. Death. People are like, how does town going to survive? How are you going to make money? The key is this fresh water. In the, in the long term, the fresh water. I saw, uh, before we go back to Lori Lightfoot and uh, Tony Perkwinkle. Tony Perkwinkle, as she, uh, I, I'm going to, you know, off the air, hopefully I'll see uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot off the air because I wrote a letter that, to apologize for not voting for her in the primary. You wrote, wrote a, le- a wrote letter to, 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 to Lori to Lightfoot. Life, she's not going to see it. Hell, you know, people throw it in trash. But I wrote a letter, please forgive me for not writing, I mean, for not voting for you in you, the primary. You, I did. You, you could have lied and said you did vote for her. No, no, it's a long story. No, uh, who did you vote for in the primary? We we were talking about. Uh, before I get back to who okay. I, who did I vote for, I had family down in Gulfport, Biloxi. So we went down there. We've been down a bunch of times. Uh-huh. So down in Gulfport, but we're really in Gulfport and Biloxi's next town over. Man, I never thought I'd go to Mississippi. Beautiful area down in the Gulf Coast because that reminds me of home because they got a big lake, but it's a Gulf. It's not a lake, yeah. but it's big like the lake. <laughs> but so the so the point is, that I went down after Katrina. It was messed up. Coastal areas. So the coastal areas are going to get hit first. Yeah. And then, then they'll start saying, maybe I should move to Memphis. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, so you're, you're, you don't think that there's going to be a big revival? No, they'll go to Memphis. They, not, they, they'll come off the coast. But you're talking about 100 years from now. But it'll slowly people come off the coast when they can't afford to get insurance to live on the coast. Yeah. That's what's going to stop all of that. Preckwinkle and Lightfoot in the primary. It's Preckwinkle. Lori Lightfoot was my first choice, but she was like single digits. And when I voted early, when I early voted uh-oh, okay. here oh, you come. Better say it. She's right in the studio. You can't. Lori Lightfoot has just entered the studio, ladies and gentlemen. she's going to walk right back out. Mark Sims, go ahead, finish your story. Tell your story. <laughs> come on, tell your story. Uh, don't be scared. Can, okay, before there are I, a lot of people with her, but don't I be go, scared. Let me finish the story about Lori Lightfoot and I voted for her, and I wrote you a letter apologizing. Uh, okay. Do you know Lori Lightfoot and Barack Obama share the same birthday? I did not know that. <laughs> August 4th. Okay. I got a 62 and a 61. And so you're about a few weeks older than me. Huh. <laughs> I was born in 62 in August. All right. We're, and I know Leo's very well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, the so point you're of, not going to tell that story now, huh? Uh, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm intimidated. I'm shaking. All right. You, the tell, next me when the, tell me when to, tell me when to leave so I can run out down the street here. But all jokes aside, I voted I voted for Tony Perkwinkle in the first, in the primary because you were single digits in the polls. Single digits. I was like... Oh no, Daly, Chico. I can, we have to have a woman in the in the primary. So you made what we call a strategic. I vote. voted by mail like three weeks before the election. All right, saying? all right. Before we uh, bring on uh, Lori so for the please, official please, please interview, <laughs> let me get your thoughts, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming. Your thoughts Pleasure. on uh, people like Mark Sims here who made strategic votes. You must have heard a lot of that talk uh, before the in the first round. The, the, the whole concept of strategic voting. Well, I, I think some people were talking about that, but I was telling people, you got to vote for who you want to vote for. 
Um, it, you know, it was difficult. Nobody anticipated that we were going to have 14 people on the ballot, right? But, you know, I'm obviously happy with the results. So apology accepted. <laughs> please, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I, I, I have a check, but, I, you know, but we'll talk about that later. A little check here. I really write checks. We'll talk about it later. You wrote a check for no, Lori Light? I wrote Life? a check, but, it's, but I'm, I'm going to be mentioned here for a minute or after the show to beg for a job. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get to that afterwards. And I'll play mentioned later on. All right, T. Can we go right to the interview? Do we have to take a break? All right, very good. Lori Lightfoot, uh, welcome to the show. It's the new surroundings. What do you think of this place? I, I like your new digs. You need a little artwork here. I think, <laughs> yeah, though. I think so. Just instead of just signs saying, Ben Jarofsky, <laughs> he's the greatest. Well, the sign doesn't literally, just so everybody knows, doesn't literally say that, but maybe we think that in the back of our mind. Uh, but uh, Lori was a guest on my old show several times, and I'm happy to say she came back. I also, also want to say I've reached out to the Tony Preckwinkle campaign. For reasons I don't understand, they've not got back to me, Lori Lightfoot. I cannot force anybody to come on the Ben Jarofsky show. It is not the Army. It is a radio show, or a podcast, I should say. So, anyway, maybe Tony will uh, avail herself of that, but the invitation is out to her uh, as well. All right, Lori Lightfoot is my guest in the studio. As I said, Lori, you were not a favorite uh, to emerge into the second round um, I think most people were predicting Daly versus Preckwinkle, and uh, yet you emerged. You had the most votes, uh, and many people are now saying you are the favorite. Do you have that sense that you're the favorite right now? Look, we're running as the underdogs. You know, I'm running against somebody who's got almost 40 years of experience as a politician mm-hmm. who's at the top of the um, party and who is able to pull all the levers of power that she's accumulated over time is very well funded. So we take nothing for granted. And, and the last thing we want to do is start patting ourselves on the back and taking a victory lap. How many times have you seen that, Ben? Yeah. And then the person's at the on election day says, oh, what happened? Hillary now, Clinton, did you say? Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so we're we're not going to make those kinds of mistakes. We keep running very, very hard. We're grateful for the momentum that we built up. We're grateful for the outpouring of support. And today we got the uh, Tribune endorsement. So that's uh, the news. The, I'm stunned. The Tribune uh, yeah. endorsed you. I don't know if you want that one, but that's a whole. That's my bias, not yours, Lori Lightfoot. The well, Tribune endorsed you? The Tribune endorsed, and I'm, I, I hasten to add, the Sun-Times was first. Yes, the Sun-Times was first. We talked about that just the other day with Tom McNamee. The Sun-Times was first. All right. Now, you mentioned that your opponent has 40 years' experience uh, in Chicago politics. You're, uh, she was first elected, I think, I'm doing this off the top of my head, in 1991 for Alderman of the Fourth Ward. So she's been around. People know the name. They kind of have an expectation uh, about Tony Pregwinkle. Lori Lightfoot is a little different. This is your first run uh, for elected office. You're running for the top office in the city right. of Chicago. First time uh, out of the box. And so I think that a lot of voters, uh, Lori, are trying to figure out what are they going to get when they elect Lori Lightfoot. And uh, so help them out a little bit. What will they get if they elect you mayor of city of Chicago? Well, they're going to get somebody who's going to try to stake, put the death knell into the Chicago machine on April 3rd or maybe that night. Um, we've got to break away from the past. I've been hearing it. The message is loud and clear. And I think the interesting thing about what's happened in the dynamic of the race is a lot of people wanted change, but they didn't think it was possible. Very cynical, skeptical that anything would ever be any different because, as you well know, the machine was built to last. Yeah. 
It had an incredible grip, not only on government, but on every aspect of life in the city. So people wanted it, but I think what happened with my election is they started to think, wow, this might actually Mm -hmm. be possible. So what they can expect is someone who's going to work tirelessly on behalf of the residents of the city. I'm going to do everything that I can to start day one to make sure that we start keeping our city safer than it has been. And I'm going to really work hard to make good on the uh, promises that I made in the course of this campaign, which is to bring real investment to neighborhoods all over the city, particularly south of Roosevelt Road and west of Ashland. All right, you got two points, uh, safer neighborhoods, real investment. Before we get to that, let's talk about the machine a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're singing my song when you talk about the end of the machine. I remember the great Harold Washington, and uh, Mark Sims said we should not live in the past. We keep talking about Harold Washington, uh, but he talked about how he was going to bell that cat. I forget how he put it. This is before your time. And and he was going to bell the, the cat being the Chicago machine. You were an appointee by Mayor Daley. Uh, he epitomizes the Chicago machine. So when did it become obvious to you that you, Lori Lightfoot, wanted to uh, put an end to the Chicago machine? I mean, you were working essentially for the Chicago machine when you were appointee for Daily. Well, I was actually a city employee, not an appointee. So that's an important distinction for me. Look, I, I you know, I, this is an uh, interesting, fascinating place. I came here over 32 years ago from Washington, D.C., at a time when... You know, I was, I was young, I was in my 20s, and I was enthusiastic about politics, and then I got to Chicago, and I thought, ooh, this is something I've never seen before. So I've always had this fascination with how politics work in this city, but it's become very clear to me um, over the last few years, probably three, four years, that the machine doesn't work. And, and that's actually not even really true. It's, it, it really struck me early on in my time here. And let me tell you why. I started my life in the city in, in Hyde Park. You leave Hyde Park, you go west through Washington Park. And I remember driving to Old Midway Airport across 55th Street. You leave Hyde Park and you see this neighborhood that hasn't been invested in and people are hanging on the street and there's trash everywhere and there's vacant lots and on and on and on. So this is in 1986. And then you get to Western Avenue. And it's like that scene where Dorothy's leaving the dark forest and going into the technicolor world of Oz. It's just costing that street. The world changed. Mm-hmm. And I asked myself, look, this, what I, what's right behind me, east, that I just traveled through, those neighborhoods have been, have been represented by black elected officials for decades. What are, where are they? What are they doing? And then you, you come to learn, well, the, here's what the machine demands. Absolute loyalty, never questioning, complete complicity, and silence. Those are the things that fuel the machine. And that grip was so powerful that it deprived neighborhoods and people of opportunity and investment. So I kind of became aware of that early on. But, but the possibility of changing that... Mm-hmm has been an evolutionary period uh, or evolutionary arc for me over a long time. I've spent a lot of time working on redistricting reform, fighting the machine, and other things that just weren't possible because of silence, complicity, and loyalty. You know, uh, demanding silence, complicity, and loyalty, uh, 
I've long advocated that one of the big problems in the city of Chicago is that whoever the mayor is, uh, well, th- since uh, 1989, the mayor has demanded silence and complicity. Uh, you have to support the mayor on every position, no matter if you disagree with it or not. The whole city mayor wants the Olympics in the city of Chicago. Everybody's got to be aboard. Olymp- corporate Chicago's got to be aboard. If you dare to, to, to speak out, they look at you like you're weird. Did you feel that pressure when you were working for uh, when you were in the city government during the daily years? Uh, did you feel that pressure to uh, toe the line and uh, be in complete agreement with the daily administration? Well, I didn't really feel it until I got to City Hall, working in the city's procurement department. And I'm a person who calls it as I see it. So we started uh, breaking some eggs and then started getting the calls from the fifth floor. So this was at a, a time when the FBI raided City Hall. Do you mm-hmm. remember that summer? Oh, yeah, 2006, I want to 2005. say. 2005. Yeah. Oh, 2005. Um, and uh, uh, through a lot of circumstances. Look, you can't work with the, in, inside of government if you don't have the support of the leadership, it's very difficult. And I was at the epicenter of, of money and power and business in the city's procurement department. And there are a lot of people who were dining at the trough, but doing it in ways that were unfair, that had special rules. And that's not how I play. So pushing back on that, telling people that they had to play by the same rules as everybody else, didn't sit too well with them and then phone calls started getting lobbed to the fifth floor, and then pressure started coming down. Didn't the mayor himself ever call you? No, the mayor never never called. It was always uh, some minion calling. And the minion let you know that he or she was speaking for the mayor? Yeah, well, everybody always said they were speaking for Rich Daly. That was this thing that happened. It was a very interesting phenomenon, whether it was true or not. But you knew from the person who was calling that it was it was done with complete authority and acceptance. And so when it became clear to me that there was only so much more we could do to really reform the procurement department and then when the FBI was swarming and I decided, I think wisely, that I didn't want to become somebody who spent all of my time in somebody's grand jury, mm-hmm. I decided it was time for me to leave and go back to private practice. All right. In, in your mind, what was the this difference between Daly and Rom? In my mind, they're sort of cut from the same cloth. Uh, autocratic behavior, bullying behavior. Uh, do you see a distinction? I, I, I do. And I'm not going to say that I know either of them well, because I don't. Mm-hmm. I have very little FaceTime with Daly, very little FaceTime with Rom. certainly not an intimate of either. I think the biggest line of demarcation between the two of them was Daly's incredible love of the city. I mean, he really did love the city. Whether I think there were a lot of things you could criticize Daly for, and I know you wrote many, many columns and spilled a lot of ink on that topic, the same with Rahm. But there was this passion for Chicago. I don't think he ever aspired to be something other than the mayor of Chicago. And having grown up in the city, obviously, with the, the family legacy that he had, you could see that. There were certain things, like one of my pet peeves right now is, the fact that it's all damn near impossible to travel um, the city with any reasonable amount of time because traffic's just out of control. Yeah. The, the se- seemingly never-ending construction at the Jane Byrne interchange, Mayor Daley would never allow that to happen. There's no chance. Um, so there's lots of things to criticize him about. I think he valued loyalty over merit in some instances. But there are things that he was able to get done because he loved the city in a way that I don't think that Rom ever did. And I, and I don't think that Rom ever really invested himself in knowing 
of texture and nuance of the city and particularly the neighborhoods. Um, he's not a person who's, I think, comfortable going out in large crowds unless they're adoring fans, you know, <laughs> praising the greater glory of, of Rom. And, you know, the one thing I learned from my old boss, Terry Hillard at the police department, sometimes you just got to go out in public and take your beating. That's what democracy is all about. That's what being a leader is all about. You know, you just have to face the public good for good or for bad. And sometimes you're going to come out of that circumstance pretty banged up. But then you pick yourself up and you go back again and do the people's work. All right. Very good. Lori Lightfoot is my guest in the studio. Let's uh, uh, take a little deeper dive in something you, you already alluded to. Real investment in neighborhoods. Uh, you know where I'm going to go with this. $1.3 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're about to, uh, the city council approved the zoning on the Lincoln Yards deal on the north side of Chicago. Uh, $1.3 billion in property taxes. And when the deal was done, Lori, Mayor Rahm got in front of the city council and said, uh, this will increase our property tax yield. He had to know the way a TIF program works is you actually limit the amount of land that the public municipal bodies can tax. So it's going to increase. It's, it does the exact opposite thing that he says in investing in an upscale neighborhood. How are you going to change it? First of all, are you going to, uh, there's still one more vote on that. You could be the mayor elect. Are you going to go to the Chicago city council and demand or ask them request that they not uh, vote for this, that they defer action on the 1.3 billion until you're mayor? I've been doing that consistently for a couple months. If I'm mayor-elect, I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. Look, look but we can't, we're, I'm not anti-development. Development is a lifeblood of the city. But as my mother would say, there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. The fact that people don't understand, because it hasn't been in the public view, what's the t- impact on transportation? What's the impact on infrastructure? What's the impact because of this incredibly dense mini-city going to have on the surrounding neighborhood and the quality of life. And you hit the nail on the head. $1.2 billion, that land's going to be invested whether the city puts a nickel in or not. And I'm not saying that we should back away from it, but the process matters. Understanding impact matters. Engaging the people whose lives are most going to be affected on the front end and not trying to sell them some pre-made-up deal that they never had any part of. That's, that's what the flaw is in this process. And I've been very clear with that for anybody who's going to listen, particularly the Sterling Bay folks, that this is not the way we're going to do business if I'm mayor of the city. We're not going to do that. And, of course, you're 100% right. It is a zero-sum game with TIF dollars. And we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can and thinking creatively about whether can we port some of these TIF dollars into other parts of the, of the city that desperately need that investment. Now, I think that's probably going to take a fix at the in Springfield, but that's something we have to think about because these other neighborhoods are starving. Mm-hmm. And when we when they see that amount of money put into a neighborhood on the north side, when they have nothing, you think about Roseland and and Pullman and Austin. I've spent a lot of time in the last week, in particular on the west side. The only economic development that's going on over there is some churches, some funeral homes, some gas stations, liquor stores, and the occasional corner store, who, by the way, is likely owned by somebody that doesn't even live in the city and isn't hiring from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So when we think about that graphic example of disparity, 
we have to do better in this city. Do you think that there's a realistic way to get uh, development to occur? We talk about this all the time with Mark Sims. He lives in, uh, he's from Roseland originally. We always talk about the need to invest uh, in the south side of the Chicago, in the south side of Chicago. Lori, my sense has been that uh, there's been a sort of benign neglect that's been going on for the last 20 years when it comes uh, to development. Let the system just sort of run its course let poor people move out of the city of Chicago, uh, let the gentrification process move south uh, and west from the loop. That seems to be the planning policy that the city has been following since the daily years in the 90s. Do you think there's any realistic way to change that? I do. I think we have to. And I think you're being charitable and calling it benign. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just abject <laughs> neglect. We have to. We have to. We cannot continue to ignore the needs of people in these neighborhoods. And, 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 and if you only care about the financial impact, think about the fact that we have a shrinking tax base. And we have people who are means and able are leaving the city. So that means only the super rich are going to stay here. And only the really poor and destitute are going to stay here. That gap and chasm between the haves and the have-nots, there's real co- tangible cost for that. So for the people who stay because they can't leave, their needs are going to be profound. For the people who are in the haves category who stay, the financial burden, and I put myself in that category because I've been very lucky in my life, the, the financial burden on us is going to be profound as well. So isn't it better, and I think about you know my University of Chicago training, to invest in people on the front end of their life. You get a bigger return on investment than waiting until something terrible happens 10, 20 years down the road and then try to solve the problem. It makes no sense. Lori Lefebvre is my guest. She's running for mayor of the city of Chicago. You mentioned the super rich in the city and uh, I get calls all the time uh, from housing activists who are trying to get me to write about or talk about the need for rent control in the mm-hmm. city, the meet, need for more affordable housing in the city. It's huge. It, uh, so first of all, what's your position on the rent control bill that's now advancing? Uh, well, it's at least in the House. I don't yeah. know where it's the status yeah, is. Yeah, Will Gazzardi, I think, is the main sponsor mm-hmm. of that. And look, I totally understand why people want that fix. But here's the sad reality. We can't wait for Springfield. We have an urgent crisis, 120,000 units down, two-thirds of the city, not a single unit been built in the last 15 years. And I don't know if you caught this, Ben, but about two weeks ago, and I got lost in the shuffle, and I'm not sure anybody's reported on it, about two weeks ago, the city's inspector general released a report that did an audit of the in lieu of fee program. Here, it's hard for me to get the words out. <laughs> the, the Department of Planning failed to uh, open up a dedicated account for those monies so they can't keep track of them. They don't know where they are. You talk about the monies that developers contribute to... uh, Hundreds of millions of dollars that have been poured into what was supposed to be a dedicated account Mm -hmm. used to then build housing, and they don't have a sense of where that money's going. Well, we all know it's going into the general fund, but tell me how you under, how you even start to get your mind around that level of callousness and incompetence. It's well, remarkable. Well, Lori, what it seems to me is this is another example uh, that there's really, to put it mildly, not much of a will in the in the city. Uh, to re- keep Chicago as an affordable city. I, I believe, again, this is the Chris Kennedy theory. He ran for uh, governor. He accused Mayor Rahm and 
should accuse Daly as well, of planning policies that were intended to gentrify the city, intend to make the city wealthier. And one very concrete uh, example of that is the... Um, the way the formula we use to determine what is affordable housing. Now we get into the weeds here about this, but the reality is I think it's like sixty percent of the area median income and that determines the threshold of what is affordable rent. Mm-hmm. That is excluding a lot of people who are working class, twenty thousand dollars a year, thirty thousand, forty thousand yeah. dollars a year. It's like saying, "Beat it, leave Chicago." Are you right. going to change that? Well, we have to. We have to change that. We can't have a city where people can't afford to live, and particularly families can't afford to live. I live in Logan Square. Um, there's a lot of change that's gone on in the almost fifteen years since I've lived there, and one of the worst is that my neighbors, who are either renters. Or, or homeowners where that's their only asset, they're getting squeezed. Now, we have to take note of the broken, corrupt property tax system that Joe Barrios presided over and that, frankly, Tony Preckwinkle protected. But you know how this works. If downtown commercial properties are undervalued, mm-hmm. you got to make up that money somewhere. And that is being made up on the backs of low income, mostly people of color who own their homes. So residential property owners are bearing the brunt of that broken and corrupt system. So we have to fix that. I'm not going to be a mayor who stands silently in the face of that kind of inequity. Uh, I like Fritz Kage a lot, but I'm going to be active and engaged in pressing him to fix that system as quickly as possible so we can give people relief. All right. Now, you know, understand the irony of this. Uh, if you quote fix the system, which I agree the system should be fixed, uh, property taxes will probably rise uh, in the areas that were most supportive of you, which is the north side, because right now the north side is getting the advantage uh, when you think about a skewed system of assessing property value. I always said this to Fritz Kage when he would come on the show. Fritz, you're advocating something that's going to hurt the people or it's going to make the people that are supporting you pay more in taxes. How do you deal with that? Look, I'm not sure about that because I'm hearing from a lot of people in those lakefront wards that they're already getting crushed. They got the new property tax assessment that's still on the old system, and it's doubled and tripled in ways that seem incredibly arbitrary. So thank you, Joe Barrios, for that parting uh, gift. That's got to be fixed. Look, what people understand is that we have to pay our fair share of taxes to support the common good. And I don't think most people disagree with that, particularly not in this very, very blue city. But they want fairness and they want competence in government. So I get pressed all the time, hey, what are you gonna do about the pension problem, this and this and this. And what I say is this, we have to make the case for revenue. People feel like they're getting nickel to dime, they're getting taxed to death, the government's unresponsive, they're not getting services for their hard-earned um, hard tax dollars. So one of the, the one of the, I think, the cr- critical functions that I have to invest in early on if I become mayor is demonstrating to people that we're gonna run city government in a very different way, in a much more cost-effective way. We are literally collecting tax dollars, putting it on paper and lighting them on, putting them on a table and lighting them on fire because we are wasting an outrageous amount of money. The presumption seems to be, well, here's this big box, a piggy bank, if you will. This is city government, and we just need to keep finding sources of revenue to feed the beast, rather than saying, you know, do we need this? Do we need that? Can we do this more efficiently? 
Those are the kind of questions that I'm going to answer and why we have to have a risk manager. Are, are you ready to put any proposals on the table? I, I, we used to joke all the time about trying to get J.B. Pritzker, try to pin J.B. Pritzker down when he was running for governor on uh, what his tax rates would be under uh, uh, the progressive tax plan or what, how he's going to raise revenues. Most politicians, and this is your first time out, but you're already learning the game. Most politicians that are running for office don't put any specific proposals out because they don't want the hit ad to come yeah. at them. Yeah. So are you willing to put any specific pro- I'm not even going to waste my time trying to pin you down. Just tell me this. Are you going to put any specific proposals down for new forms of money to try to fund government? Well, look, we haven't landed on what the menu of options has to be, and it can't be one thing. It's got to be multiple things. But the instructions that I've given to my finance team is this. We, we can't keep balancing the city's budget on the backs of people who are least able mm-hmm. to afford it. So one of the things that w- I, we will talk about more specifically uh, before this is all said and done and before April 2nd is this ridiculous ticketing system that we have here in the city. I mean, it, it, you know, people are worried about a lot of things, but I can't tell you how many times I hear that. I lost my car. Oh, yeah. The fines were doubled. I lost my driver's license. Give me a break here. If you're a hardworking, working class individual family, and you need your car. You need to be able to, um, and if you, you don't have a margin, a surplus, a savings, where you can afford to pay $500 or more, or $600, or worse, have your car taken away from you. So we have to reform that specifically, and that's just one example. The other thing that we have to do is I, we, I'm not prepared to do anything that's actually going to shrink our tax base by driving businesses out of the city. Are you going to take away the city sticker fee? I'd like to, that is something I think we have to think very seriously about. Look, a lot of this stuff is going to be automated Mm -hmm. and it's going to go to kiosk. There's a serious question as to whether or not we're doing more harm than good by having a city sticker. I think we do need to think about how we make sure that we know what cars are on the road and things like that. But there again, that's a regressive form of taxation that drives people crazy, mm-hmm. me included. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, let's move away from these specific programs and talk, talk more a little general about what they call character issues. Again, you're, this is your first run for office, and I get a lot of questions from people. How can I believe Lori Lightfoot? What, what can she do to assure me that I can believe that she is truly a progressive and um, in the news, there's the issue of like the campaign conscious, some of the people who funded your uh, campaign uh, in the last, since you won, since mm-hmm. you won, basically. Uh, Dan Mahopoulos' story that ran, was it yesterday uh, in WBEZ about change Chicago? Uh, what does he call it? Uh, dark money. Um, <laughs> how, how can people believe that Lori Lightfoot truly is a progressive uh, when we see things like the, the people she gets money from or the group she gets money from? Well, you should look at the people that I get money from. And first of all, that donation was about five months ago. And the Preckwinkle people tried to float it, tried to float it, tried to float it, and then they finally got somebody to bite. So, you know, <laughs> God bless Dan, but dude, Dan. dude, <laughs> come on, guy. right? But look, if you look at all the 14 people that ran, I'm the only one that had a consistent amount of small donors. I've had thousands of people mm-hmm. literally donating $3, $5, $25 in a way that's far different than anybody else and certainly far different than Tony Preckwinkle, whose campaign is funded largely by a single donor. That's a union. Um, so I think you look at who has been funding. I'm getting funding from donations, I should say, from 
retired teachers, current teachers, city workers, firemen, policemen, mm -hmm. you know, just ordinary citizens who want change. Mm -hmm. Everywhere I go now, walking down the street, um, people's uh, posting on our Facebook page, talking about the fact that they finally think that machine could be in the final death knell. They want change. They want to believe that we have the opportunity to have an independent leader in city government for the first time since Harold Washington in 1986 when he uh, met his untimely death, 1987 when he met his untimely mm -hmm. death. So there's a level of enthusiasm about my campaign because of that. Well, one of the theories that uh, was put forth uh, in this very show by Tom McNamee, the editorial uh, board editor of the Sun-Times, we were talking about the, the increase in campaign contributions that you've gotten from uh, people who are more like on the Republican side of the th uh, the uh, aisle, uh, Rocky Wirtz uh, from the uh, Blackhawks uh, uh, pops into my mind. Does she Swaz family pops into my mind? And Tom McNamee uh, put this theory. They think she's going to win. They're putting money down at her now because they want to uh, have some influence over her. So is it a case in these instances where you made the phone call, uh, a campaign request, or did the money just come in once people saw that you won and they wanted to back the winner? I'll say this. I'll say two things. Um, I have a lot of new friends <laughs> since February 26, yeah. right? But but I'm still the same person, and I hope nobody's foolish enough to think that by giving me a campaign donation, they're going to get me to cut and paste my integrity and in who I am because that's never happening. All right, I'll take that answer for the moment. All right, now something that's been on my mind, I have to ask you about. Um, oh. This point, uh, people barrage me with uh, emails the other day, text messages. You made a comment about uh, converting schools into the police police academies, mm -hmm. and that really irritated a lot of friends of mine. And they said, when you get Lori Lightfoot on that show of yours, you ask her, does she want to take abandoned schools in the city of Chicago, which probably should never have been closed in the first place, that's my editorial mm -hmm. aside, and turn them into police academies? No, in context, we were talking hypothetically about what do you do to make sure that people, the police officers are well-trained? Look, the city council took that vote the other day. It's moot. The training academy is going on the west side. I've opposed that training academy because of the way in which that process worked, which excluded people from the conversation and people in that community who desperately need investment. Nothing will happen on my watch, and certainly not the repurposing of those 38 schools that remain uh, on uh, CPS's ledger without going into the community, talking to people about how we can turn those schools into their assets. That's the way the process has to work. That's why I opposed the so-called COP Academy. That's why I stood with the families of NTA. The process matters. Nothing will have legitimacy if people feel like they've not been listened to, they've not been heard. And you know this as well as I do. We are at a heightened state of activism in the city, which I think is a good thing. And people are paying close attention. They're able to educate themselves about the issues. And they are not going to stand for a style of government that tries to shove things down people's throats without listening and engaging. And I understand that. I respect it. And I support it. You know, speaking of the old way of doing things, there's a story that's just breaking uh, the last couple of days. Uh, Jesse Smollett, who, of course, is uh, 
been indicted on filing a false report. It has now turned out that Kim Fox took a phone call from Tina Chen, who is representing uh, some unnamed relative of uh, Jesse Smollett, asking that she intervene and get the uh, Eddie Johnson to uh, move the the um, investigation to the FBI. Do you think that's appropriate uh, kind of uh, process for our state's attorney to be involved in? You know what? I, I don't know enough about the details to be able to cast any judgment on that. But what I think Kim did right is once the case turned and became a criminal case against Millette, she recused herself, and that was the right thing to do. Look, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a cautionary tale for me, right? People are going to reach out. People are going to want to have access. People are going to want you to do certain things. And I know that I will have a certain level of insulation from those kinds of things before um, the reason that we were just talking about. Nobody's going to buy me. Nobody's going to persuade me because of their access. But you, you have to figure out how you strike the right balance so that you're still listening and you're not living in a bubble where you're excluded from having a pulse on what's happening out there in the neighborhoods in particular. But Kim, I think, is a person of high integrity. I have a lot of respect for her. And she did the right thing by recusing herself. Yeah, of course, she didn't reveal why she recused herself until uh, the papers came after her. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I did do, do things. It was the right thing to recuse herself, uh, probably. Uh, all right, before I let you go out the door, uh, a slightly different turn here. Let's take a turn from the issues uh, uh, that you'll be facing as mayor. It's one of the little delightful si- asides that I learned from Carol Marine's uh, debate or that, the, that Carol moderated. I did not realize you were a sports fan. Oh, yeah. You're a, a Bears fan. Uh, you're a Bears season tickle holder. Yep. So I'm going to make everything political, even football. Should the Bears have hired as their backup quarterback in 2017 Colin Kaepernick as opposed to Mike Glennon, Lori Lightfoot, to handle the hard question? Without a doubt. I mean, you look at you look at Kaepernick's skill and abilities. The fact that he is not in the league now, you know, of course, we all want to know what the settlement was. But it's ridiculous that that guy's not playing football because he expressed himself and exercised his First Amendment rights. And Glennon, (laughs) Glennon. I mean, first of all, let's let's talk about what he did at Tampa Bay. Yeah, a disaster. Yeah, and he gets out there on the field and he's like he's playing in the Pee Wee League. Yeah, he's a horrible quarterback. And how much money did we pay him? Uh, I think it was seventeen million. And and I think fourteen guaranteed. Yeah, outrageous. Yeah, outrageous. So. I'm happy to say it seems like we're on the right path. Yeah. That we've gotten over those blunders by Ryan Pace, but that was a disaster. And uh, why are you a Bears fan? You grew up in Ohio. You should be a Cleveland Browns fan. Oh, man. When I was growing up in the 60s and 70s in Cleveland, the Browns were awful. Every every professional sports team. Oh, you're after Jim Brown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, every professional sports team in Cleveland, it was the, the Browns were bad, the, the Indians were awful, they even had a hockey team for a while, the Cleveland Barons, they were terrible. So actually, I grew up as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan for football. Lori, what does this say about your character that you deserted the hometown teams just to go with the winner down the stand? And the Cleveland Brown fans are supposed to hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. Isn't that like kind of an interstate rivalry going there? Yeah, you know what, I was close enough to Pittsburgh and I was growing up during the time of the Steel Curtain. I loved Mean Joe Green and those guys. So, 
you know, sorry. All right, Nadia is saying we got to go, and I do whatever Nadia tells me, but I'm going to ask you one last question before you walk out the door. One last question, all right, Nadia? Um, And that is this, the other thing from Carol Marie. Your favorite song that makes you want to get up and dance, Todd Rundgren, Just One More Is that true, or is that misquote? No, no, it's totally true. You know, I'm I'm the youngest of the four kids. My siblings are quite a bit older than me. One of them brought home A Wizard, A True Star, the album in which that song occurred. I've I've listened to that album a thousand times. And Just One Victory gets me pumped up every time. All right. Very good. Uh, that's one of Dennis's favorites, Todd. He actually never heard it, Todd. No, no, never. Until never. Said, <laughs> never heard so you're helping educate millennials already. You're helping our millennial population in the city of Chicago. Lori Lightfoot, I know you got to get out of here. Uh, Nadia, who calls the shots, is saying go, go, go. Thank you very much for coming, and I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck to you, all right? Thank you. My pleasure. All right. That is Lori Lightfoot. Uh, Lori Lightfoot has left the building. Ladies and gentlemen, Lori Lightfoot has left the building. I know we should be off the but I just had so much fun interviewing Lori. You're just, getting in the habit of doing this. I, I know. We like day. going over bonus material. Yeah. It's a podcast, it's, man. It's not bonus if we do it every day. All right. No, you, well, it's bonus every day. Anyway, Mark Sims, you heard Lori Lightfoot. What do you think of her? Miles took a picture of me and the Nick could be the next man. We don't know. It's Chicago. And yeah. You, you're the man, Miles. Uh, Miles no, is the man. You know, this, I was so stunned. I knew she was coming, but I freaked out when she here. And the word I wanted to use was, Use was mendicant. I'm mean, gonna say the word, you know, mendicant. What did you want to use that word in regard wait, 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 to? No, this being vague. And I was watching Christopher Hitchens the other day or something. Christopher I, Hitchens? I mean, an old Christopher Hitchens great, passed the yeah, hours. Yeah, it was say, like yeah. 2000. He was talking about reparations. Yeah. And he used the word, and I got it all wrong here in the sheet of paper. It's mendicant. It meant begging. Okay. And I said, watch me go mendicant all day. Uh, so, okay, that's And I, I just, I was, you know, this is why I'm not on real radio and real yeah. television. I learned a long you time ago. Never say big words in front of important people. I know. People. I just freaked out, man. Mend- <laughs> I mean, begging. You know, you know, you went to college, Miles. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm in college. I'm in college. He's oh, in college know. right now. Yeah. All right. Cool. Very good. Uh, Mark Sims is my guest. I'm going to go through the guest. Ramana Hussein. Uh, excellent. Uh, the Ramana Rundown. Rundown. Run, the Ramada Rundown. Every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mark Sims making his return. Pride and joy of Finger High. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, of course, uh, mayoral candidate. Uh, she's left the building. Miles Porter, excellent job. The uh, editor of this show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind that control board. The pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. The ladies love him. They call him the doctor. Give give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Everybody have a great weekend. See you Tuesday. The Ben Jarofsky Show for your Friday, March 15th is in the books. And we want to remind everybody before we get out of here that the Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you by unions. These hardworking men and women were kind enough to get behind us in this online podcasting experience. So we would like to thank the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's show brought to you by our friends at the 
Chicago Federation of Labor. We will see you all Tuesday.